There is no better place. It's time to talk. The only way to get anything done in Cork is to go on to the internet. That's a Cork threat at this stage, I think. <laughs> the Neil Brenderville Show on Red FM. I just love Cork people. Conversation that matters. The Neil Brenderville Show with Mercedes Benz Cork. I was talking last week on the air at some stage about other countries that have longer mortgages or they have intergenerational mortgages or mortgages are handed down from parents uh, to children and, and what have you. I'm not quite sure how it works, but I have read about that in the past. I was interested in that and even more so this morning, the front of the uh, Irish Independent says that there's a new lender in the Irish market called MoCo uh, and they will issue mortgages that people can pay off until they're 80 years old. Now it's interesting in many different ways because most of the lenders have policies that they want the mortgage to be paid off by the time the homeowner reaches the age of 70. So this is an Austrian banking group. It's expected to add an extra tenor, sorry tenor when I say tenor as in 10 years to the length of the mortgage so you could be paying it up to the age of 80 which probably means that uh, your monthly repayments while you'd be paying for an awful lot longer would be an awful lot lower. And from that then to mind-boggling amounts of money, nearly 33 million euro worth of crystal meth. I've no idea what that would be worth ultimately on the market probably three, four, perhaps five times that 33 million worth of crystal meth Uh, and as to where it was destined, they say ultimately down to Australia I'll come back to this story uh, in a few minutes time but oh man it dominated the news over the weekend and again this morning because Gardy continued to question one businessman and the other the son of a former politician over this shocking discovery of 33 million euro worth of of crystal meth um, was found down in Cork Port and there was a lot uh, of court appearances and things like that obviously nobody's been named we're not going to name anybody although online of course it's just gone rampant hasn't it Uh, but the meth is believed to have been destined for Australia was being held here on behalf of the ruthless Sinaloa cartel which was once led by El Chapo and is now led by El Chapo's sons. They're called Chapitos. And recently, um, I know that the Sunday world were very much across this and some of the red tops as well. Um, We're talking about uh, a man by the name of um, uh, O'Shea down in Kerry. Um, And this is the connection that they talk about with regards to uh, the Sinaloa cartel in Mexico. Morris O'Shea Salazar, an Irish-Mexican citizen who apparently heads up the European operation of the Sinaloa Sinaloa cartel. Now, they revealed there um, last year, and I know that Nicola Talent has done it in podcasts as well, uh, nicknamed the Mexican because he grew up in Kilorglan. It's a bizarre story, isn't it? He grew up in Kilorglan uh, in Kerry, um, and then apparently his dad is um, uh, from Kilorglan and his mam was Mexican, and he went to Mexico and things like that, and he's wanted in at least in, in Chile, across across one of the borders with uh, in South America, they want them extradited there. But uh, anyway, there's a, there's a connection to this, you know, where you we talk about Mexicans, uh, drug dealers, cartels, Sinaloa, Ireland, Kerry, Kilorglan. It's it's an astonishing story. I will come back to it uh, a little later uh, with Barry Roach. Um, also, of course, the RTE crisis just rolls on and on and on. And now the broadcast minister Catherine Martin wants all of the of the um, you know, the main players within the RTE saga 
uh, to come in and meet her because the headline in the mail this morning says Minister summons RTE boss and probably more than just Kevin Backhurst as this crisis deepens and deacon deepens. Uh, they're suggesting now um, that the uh, payout to uh, Rory uh, Coveney could have been upwards of €200,000. Now, we know the other one, Breed O'Keefe, one was, was 450000 of a golden handshake. Um, and, and this one could be, it hasn't been announced, obviously. But interestingly, Simon Coveney now has been much drawn into it by the press because he's been doorstepped and asked questions. So obviously, he's, a, he's the Enterprise Minister, but he's also Cork TD uh, and the brother of, of Rory Coveney. He, he says that um, he's not involved in it. I've been making public comments on it, uh, either apart from general statements in relation to the fact that RTE needs public support and that people should pay their television licence, etc, etc. Mind you, I think that journalists asked the wrong question. Uh, I don't think it's anything to do with Simon Coveney, ultimately, as to how much his brother got to go. But I think it would have been a reasonable question to ask Simon Coveney as to whether or not, um, if Rory Coveney did get a payout, whether or not his brother should give it back, or Breed O'Keefe for that matter. So I don't know whether that was asked or not. But certainly, um, you know, there, you don't have to look too far from the Oroctus and RTE uh, throwing money around like confetti at a wedding, but eh, the government are well capable of doing it as well. I see a story in the papers this morning saying that they have four... Um, different credit cards. They're called Eroctus credit cards. And, of course, much of it is used for whining and dining. I don't know how you'd be able to stand over all these bills that we see from the Eroctus credit cards as to whether it's all work-related, but a €1,500 Euro Eroctus credit card bill uh, for Jamie Oliver's restaurant, 1500 a spend of over €17,000 at the K-Club. There was even television licences paid off one of the Eroctus credit cards, and it goes on and on. The Conrad Hotel, um, um, apparently nearly eleven and a half grand for accommodation at the Conrad Hotel, €1,000 for dinner at a boutique lounge. They go on then to talk about 2,200 2, euros spent at Sefton Hotel in Douglas in the Isle of Man. Apparently there was some kind of parliamentary event over there. It wasn't all dining in hotels. There was a 109 euro charge for in, to an interior company in Westmeath. Uh, there was also purchases at the Kilkenny shop. And then there was another spend at the Guinness Storehouse. And then a photography bill for over a grand. It goes on and on. But the ones that would really bother you would be 1,500 euro at Jamie Oliver or maybe 17 grand at the K-Club. But I'm assuming they can stand over all of this. Uh, the examiner, the Echo this morning talks um, about uh, supposed anti-social behaviour out in Douglas. There really is no suburb now that doesn't have its problems. Although, I mean, I'm out and about, but I'm certainly not out and about in the Douglas area late at night. So I don't. I can't say that I've witnessed anything untoward, to be quite honest with you. But Deirdre Ford certainly um, feels that, um, you know, the Douglas area needs more care and attention from the Garda Shikana. She says she's seen a video of a group of young people there in the Douglas area and another, and more videos from, from Carrigaline. I think she's referencing the Carrigaline video as being um, uh, young people engaging in some rough antisocial horseplay with people who are waiting at a bus stop. She said, I was appalled to see this happening on a normal day when people are just trying to get to the bus or to school or to work. Now, we have heard in the past uh, of fights and organised fights in the Cargilline area. I don't know whether that's still an issue. In fact, you have gangs who would go down and take the Cargilline bus to go down to um, harass or to beat up others. And sometimes the uh, the fights were pre-organised and uh, pre-arranged. Uh, Kelly Murphy, uh, a proud um, Douglas Blackrock Ballon Temple, Well Road. <laughs> 
100% sure exactly who has the call on him but Cork has the call on him and he's gone down the bomb at the BAFTAs and why wouldn't he so right now the fact that he's got himself the best uh, you know he got leading actor the film got best film got best director it also got best supporting actor and it got best for cinematography got loads but certainly Killian is definitely on course now uh, for the Oscar let's stop down here actually because I think we got um, some lovely audio pieces from Killian at the BAFTAs last night everybody's absolutely over the moon so I'm hearing these for the first time too so I'm as excited as you guys this is uh, this piece is Killian at the acceptance speech lads you know I'm really proud Irishman <laughs> I have to say that of course I am uh, and uh, it, it, mean, it means a lot, a lot for, to me, you know, to be, to be Irish. Um, so I don't know what else to say. Should I sing a rebel song? <laughs> Second one then is um, maybe a, a little bit more on that. Um, this is uh, Killian again celebrating and showing uh, that he really does have a fun side to him. Have a listen. Oh boy. Um, holy moly. Uh, Thank you very, very much, BAFTA. Um, I have a few people, very important people I want to thank very quickly. Um, the most dynamic, decent, kindest producer-director partnership in Hollywood, Chris Nolan and Emma Thomas. Thanks for... Thank you for seeing something in me that I probably didn't see myself. Chris, thank you for that extraordinary, exhilarating script and for always pushing me and always demanding excellence because that's what you deliver time after time again. Um, I want to thank Donna Langley at Universal for making this perfect home for our movie from the beginning. I want to thank Adam Schweitzer, David Weber, Craig Banky, Tom Reed, Luke Coulson, all the Julies. You are the best. Um, I want to thank my fellow nominees and my up and homies. That was a, that was a rhyme. Um, uh, uh, um, and in fact, all of you in the room, I know it's a cliche to say that I am in awe of you, but I actually genuinely am in awe. Um, Oppenheimer was this colossally naughty, complex character, and he meant different things to different people. And, you know, one man's monster is another man's hero. And that's why I love movies, because we have a space to celebrate uh, and interrogate uh, and investigate that complexity. And it's a privilege to be part of this community with you all. Um, and finally, uh, to Yvonne, Malachi and Aaron, you're my best friends and I love you so much. Thank you, guys. Well said, kiddo, well said. What do you call him? Up and homies. I love that. He also apparently said, encouraged the examiner, oh boy, holy moly. Thank you very, very much. We'll put that down as a piece of cork parlance. Papers also this morning talk about the amount of landlords who have left uh, the rental market. 15,000 rental properties were last year lost because of the continuing mass exodus of landlords from the rental market. So it goes from bad to worst in that regard. Doesn't remember on Friday if you were talking, if you were listening, we were talking very much about consumer issues and, um, you know, talking to Connor Pope about things that go wrong, things you buy, services you're trying to get. It could be trying to get somebody to talk to at the end of the phone, you know, and the fact that companies now go out of their way to preclude you from ever being able to talk to a human being. Well, this morning, the Irish Times say that faulty goods or services cost Irish consumers almost a billion a year 
year with one over one and a half million adults having problems with things that they have bought in a 12-month period. I mean, I'd love to drill into that and find out exactly what, I mean, it could be banks, medical services, digital subscriptions, things that you buy, home products, tools, all sorts of stuff like that. You know, I mean, it could even be something like a fitted kitchen that was put in shockingly badly and trying to get them back and stuff like that. And there's some very good research making the mail this morning from Amorak. I won't dwell long on it, but they asked a lot of different questions. Apparently, 50% of people who were surveyed would like to see restrictions on smartphones, not for under 12s or under, you know, 8s or sixes, but under 16s. And apparently there still is a f- another part of the survey said there's still a fair amount of people who love working from home or the novelty of working from home. And the third one of interest then is over 50% of people want a referendum on a united Ireland in the next decade. I wonder, will it ever be a united country? Uh, do you ever think about that yourself in your own lifetime? It kind of depends on who you are. If you're in your 30s, maybe, or your 40s, or maybe even 50s, there's a chance. But if you're in your 60s, or or 70s or 80s to think you're ever going to see it uh, and a referendum would go some way. There's a very sad story that makes the English Times this morning. I was really disturbed by this because this city law firm that did what they did to the cleaner earns £46 million pounds a year in profits and they've been accused and again it is an accusation they've been accused of having a cleaner sacked for eating a leftover sandwich while tidying uh, a boardroom. Now apparently this sandwich was left over from a lawyer's meeting and it was due to be discarded. And I think it wouldn't be unfair to say that it would have been the cleaner who would have discarded the tuna sandwich. But she didn't. The cleaner, a single mother uh, from Ecuador, has launched an employment claim after having worked for the an agency that did the cleaning um, in the corporate law firm. Um, and she's named as Gabriella. She was said to have been fired for the theft of a tuna sandwich which she ate, which was left over from a lawyer meeting and was due to be discarded. I mean, imagine firing somebody for that. Um, she probably was hungry, doesn't probably make a whole lot of money and probably has a mindset as well of waste not, want not. Um, it's a terribly cruel thing to do, isn't it? The other end of the spectrum then is you have the Don, Donald Trump, who has now launched his own shoes. They're gold. They're shocking looking things. But if you're into that kind of bling, well and good. He's got his... Now, the shoes aren't the first thing. They're like shiny uh, gold high tops with the American flag detailed on the back. They put you back $400 if you were to buy them. Apparently he's got a new website where he also sells lots of other things besides shoes. He also sells cologne and perfume. Uh, and he's um, uh, got a lot of other things in the range uh, that plans on even more. But the, but the actual shoes, the shiny gold sneakers, ain't going down so well, apparently, by all accounts. Um, he's photographed at different events down in the Philadelphia Convention Centre. He introduced the first official Trump um, footwear, and they booed him. I mean, I mean, be one thing if they were solid gold and you can put up in the mantle, but who would actually wear blingy, high-top sneakers? Yeah, Donald Trump sneakers. Shiny gold. Yeah. I mean, it's the kind of thing he'd wear, I'd say. Yeah, I just, I don't really understand this. I also um, find it really funny that, like, Donald Trump looks like he smells of cheap perfume, if you know what I mean? So, like, why would you want to buy cologne off a guy like that, you know? I don't. Not a fan then, no? I just I just think he looks like the kind of guy that, like, when he passes you in the street, you'd be like, you know, it's the kind of, it's the kind of cologne that masks the smell of fake tan so you're kind of like what's that kind of mixture of okay. like fake tan and cheap perfume no, so the you know? cheap perfume and the fake tan lends itself very well to gold shiny high top sneakers yeah did he walk out to Spandau Ballet that's what I'd love to know 
Because <laughs> I mean, to be gold. fair, he's gold on top, so he might as well be gold on the bottom as well. You know what I mean? I love it. I love it. One other thing, lads, before I move on, you will find Barbie on the Leaving Certificate curriculum in the not too distant future. Leaving Cert students will soon be saying, Come on, Barbie, let's go study. Uh, apparently, this morning, the sun is suggesting that they're in the know that there are going to be new novels, new films, new poetry, all added to the English curriculum next year, and amongst it will be Barbie. You will be studying Barbie. Barbie. I, that would be the film, because I don't think there are any, any books or prose or anything to go along with it. Uh, but knowing your ABCs, I suppose, takes on a completely different meaning. Text 0868 back after the break. Text or WhatsApp Neil now. 0868 104 106. The Neil Prenderville Show on Red FM. No laughing matter, but uh, the Red Tops come up with some amazing headlines and uh, absolutely right uh, Joe says he says um, he's talking about newspaper headlines over the weekend regarding the drugs found in the Port of Cork and I think it was the sun over the weekend of the headline Meth Aaron Meth Aaron uh, that was on uh, Saturday and then yesterday the crystal males, maze uh, so it's a vast quantity of crystal meth um, uh, you know there, and I know I've spoken about this in the past the big drug busts in Ireland's history and because we have a, an enormous coastline that needs to be protected and we just don't have the naval ships to do it. I think we have two available now, but only one of them in the water. So in recent years then, I mean, you had the dances with waves, um, which was coming in the middle of a gale force. Uh, it was one of the biggest busts ever when it was intercepted back in 2008, 400 million. And then again off the Cork coast, there was another one then in 2014, 290 million, another luxury yacht intercepted crossing from the Caribbean uh, with over a ton of cocaine on board. Uh, there were other smaller ones then up around Dublin port, don't get me wrong, it's not all the West Coast but you know, certainly the Cork Coast would seem to have the ones of big amounts of money. Dunlock Bay, you'll recall uh, one of the biggest hauls ever was a total and utter shambles. They overloaded a small boat they were using to bring the drugs ashore and then they filled um, the fuel tank with diesel instead of petrol. You recall all of that? Apparently that was Pablo Escobar's Colombian network 440 million then and then of course in September the MV Matthew, uh, stormed by the Army Rangers when it refused to stop and they found 157 million euro worth, over two tons of cocaine. In fact, the resale value of that could have been half a billion in resale. So that's just a few. And then on Friday, we heard the news um, and it's an ongoing investigation. Two people are continuing to be questioned. 33 million euro worth of crystal meth. Now, I imagine it's worth much, much more than that in the actual open market. It's a fascinating story because it has all sorts of alleged links between Mexico and Ireland and and Kerry and the Sinaloa cartel and things like that. Man has been following it for the Irish Times uh, over the past few days and right across the weekend is our own Barry Rhodes, Southern correspondent with the Irish Times and he joins me by WhatsApp. Barry, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you doing? Good. Fa- fascinating story with all sorts of alleged I- Irish connections. But what we, firstly, what we know is that the guys now are continuing to question a businessman and the son of a former politician and they may have even got an extension on that. Uh, and then I believe that Gardaí and other agencies have gone into business premises or something to, to search and investigate. Can you bring us up to date? Yeah, I suppose the most recent development in it is, uh, as you said, this happened on Friday. I suppose just by way of a bit of background, uh, my understanding is that uh, about a year ago there was a seizure that was described to me as up the country, uh, which had a Kerry connection, and uh, the Kerry Division Drugs Unit started focusing on it and spent a year working on this. 
and they did a lot of obviously very good work in that time. And then they passed over their intelligence to the customs and customs went in last Thursday uh, to the Port of Cork, the uh, water terminal in Ringeskiddy, started searching a container which was on shore, shall we say, and uh, found some plant or farm machinery in that, uh, got out their angle grinders and other cutting equipment and started working on that. And then Friday morning, uh, they actually, it was apparently really well concealed within the, the equipment which had been rewelded. And uh, they found, uh, according to the Press and Revenue, 546 kilograms of synthetic drugs, crystal meth, with an estimated street value of 32.8 million at Cork Port. That was Friday morning, half one Friday afternoon, Kerry Divisional Drugs Unit and uh, Gardaí from the Garda National Drug Garden National Drugs and Organised Crime Bureau moved on a business presence uh, in Kerry and uh, they arrested two men, uh, both in their 40s, and they also recovered what I think have been described as two semi-automatic firearms. The two have been, because of the firearms, they've been arrested under Section 50 of the Criminal Justice Act, which um, is used for things like explosives, firearms, guns. It's sort of the criminal equivalent of Section 30 of the Offences State Act, which is used for um, subversives but it gives Gardaí seven days and but they have to go to court to get an extension and yesterday my colleague Anne Lucy was in Killarney District Court special sitting uh, where two men were brought in and the Chief Superintendent Patrick Powell in Kerry he applied well he applied to have the media refused or removed but that was refused by Judge James McNulty but reporting restrictions were put in place they, um, they've been held for 72 hours he was looking for an extension and they got that but we heard some interesting stuff around Lucy rather heard some interesting stuff yesterday in that Solicitor Patrick O'Connell he was representing one of the men and he said he was formally objecting to the detention describing information in a document handed to the judge as quote speculative open to interpretation not factual but Judge McNulty said he was satisfied the Chief Superintendent had comprehensively and in detail set out the possibility of involvement of Mr O'Connell's client in the events mm. and he noticed as well there was a considerable body of film footage and all mm. those evidence that should be put to the client so he granted the extension and similarly for the second man who was represented separately and came in later uh, represented okay. that man as a solicitor in Tralee Okay do, so do, there are the do, two guys okay. okay so it's 33 million euro worth street value thank you for clarifying that of crystal meth supposedly destined ultimately from Australia but do 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 we know the examiner kind of half speculate on it where, do we know whether it was coming into the Port of Cork or going out of the Port of Cork I think the general consensus among media and from my own inquiries, but others as well, uh, it has come in and was going out. Uh, no, there's possibly maybe manufactured here, but I think it's more likely that it was imported in and was due for export. Our understanding is that it was destined for Australia. Talking to one guard of contact last night, he's, I was asking why, why Cork, Australia? And Sun actually had an interesting graphic on yesterday about plotting the route. It's believed it's come from the Sunder St. Columbia, we were hearing Mexico, but South America at any rate, up to Cork and then a route from Cork down around um, France, uh, Spain, Rome, Portugal, into the Mediterranean, down the Suez Canal and then open sea all the way to right. Australia. Okay. And looking at that, that's 15,000 kilometres 15,500 kilometres and it takes 32 to 40 sailing days so you're talking effectively about six weeks but the reason that Cork could feature in this is that 
farm machinery coming from Ireland is far more are far less likely to arouse suspicion than farm machinery coming directly from South America or somewhere else like that or even some of the big European courts courts mm. rather where you have um, crystal meth factories looking online at some uh, government reports last night or uh, European reports huge number of crystal meth um, labs uh, discovered in Czechia also Holland and Belgium whereas Ireland wouldn't have a reputation for crystal meth mm. uh, most on English actually preferred and a good piece in the examiner on Saturday where he mentioned some of the seizures and that would sort of tell you my own experience here in Cork it's always sort of found in small quantities as an addendum as it were to a bigger cocaine or heroin there's or not an appetite seizure. for crystal meth no, there, no. There, there's not and apparently the, mar- the, the, the market rate for here is 100,000 Euros a kilo, whereas in Australia, uh, I've heard it's 200,000 kilos, uh, 200,000 euros a kilo. So you're effectively doubling your money for an extra 60 days sale or 40 days sailing, whatever it is, uh, and transport. So it's a huge market in Australia where it's not here in Ireland, okay. uh, from what we can gather. Okay, so I know I know that in the past that sniffer dogs are, are very effective when it comes to, say, cocaine or perhaps cannabis or maybe heroin, I don't know. But you're saying that this is information that the Gardaí had as opposed to, like, wasn't a sniffer dog sniffed it? out or anything, no? Not that I'm aware, but that, I mean, they could very well um, it was curious because I was doing a piece last week on cadaver dogs uh, and looking at the Gardaí and customs have um, sniffer dogs for guns and drugs and so forth so maybe there was a sniffer dog involved but my understanding is that it was intelligence led okay. initially okay. and you read on for good work by uh, I mean I was talking to one customs official and he said kudos to the boys in Kerry because it's very much a Kerry operation Garda wise and they did the, the groundwork as it were as I said just the interesting thing about the two people arrested then uh, one of those uh, they're both in their 40s uh, they were arrested on Friday they're uh, held under section 50 of the Criminal Justice Act that gives you seven days they're being detained and questioned in Castle Island Garda session. One of the guys is well known to Gardaí and Kerry, would have a serious criminal record, would have served two really bad assaults, one which left a guy on life support for a, a period and it was 50-50 that he'd come through. He paid over a huge amount of compensation with 50 grand in that and was given a five-year suspended sentence. Second case then was an attack on a woman. He got four years for that. That's 2008 and they activated the five-year suspended sentence from the previous assault in 202. So he ended up serving nine years would be well known to Gardaí in Kerry, uh, would have a political link in that his father was a, a former local politician back in the day, but um, would be well known as own right now at this stage to yeah. Gardaí in Kerry. Yeah. And then yeah. the second guy is the, the, the really interesting character because he's a businessman in, in North Kerry who would have a very high public profile, high social media presence, uh, very public premises in Kerry and also would have a business uh, outlets here in Cork so Amazing. he's the second man also in his so, 40s so yeah. he's being held as well. So who is, who is Morris O'Shea Salazar? He's uh, another name that's cropped up Sunday World have did some good work on his, his involvement or suspected involvement yesterday. They got their hands on uh, some Spanish documents where he's named in that I think uh, he and the criminal element in Kerry the his 40s were monitored by Spanish police going to the Balearic Islands either Mallorca or Menorca in 2020 he features in their documentation which the Sunder world have seen he's father is from Kerry and is now deceased as I understand it. His mother is Mexican but he grew up in Kilorgan and spent about 10 years there and became known locally as the Mexican uh, but since he, that would have been in the noughties, he's in his uh, 30s now uh, but he's believed to be involved in the Sinaloa cartel 
that you mentioned earlier. Which would be the, the connected to the El Chapo Empire. Yeah, yeah, I was reading about them last night. There seems to be a real turf war in uh, Mexico between the various cartels, the Gulf Cartel, the Duana uh, uh, Cartel, and now the uh, Sinaloa seems to be the one that's on the rise, as it were. And he would have links with that. And he's wanted by the Chilean police force because they suspected that the expedition weren't out for him from Chile because he... Um, Want, they want to charge him over an alleged plot to set up a so-called cell of the cartel in northern Chile in 2020 when the world was in the grip of the COVID pandemic. But Morris uh, Salazar is now based out of Mexico, isn't he? Uh, I read some reports saying he's thought to be in... Well, he's yeah, Mexico is where he's based, but it's thought that he may be in Spain at the moment. Right. Uh, he's described in court documents uh, by the Chilean authorities as an important member of the Sinaloa cartel and is a dual Mexican-Irish national. Uh, the agency, the uh, Chileans, claimed that he would import cocaine from Bolivia, which would be collected in the commune of Alto Hospicio and stripped to various ports and airports in Europe in countries such as Belgium, the Netherlands and Spain. Just going back to an interesting point, uh, the whole idea of sending stuff from Cork to Australia, uh, drugs, might seem a bit fanciful, but go back to 2022 and uh, the British, the National Crime Agency in the UK, caught a gang who were exporting 50 millions worth of uh, ecstasy MDMA by hiding it in a digger uh, from uh, Greys in Essex to Darwin, I think it was, in Australia. But the core connection is there was a guy from Dunbeacon called Leon Riley who was provided the digger uh, through his company, Mizzen Equipment, and he ended up, along with his co-accused, uh, being convicted, and he got 24 years for his troubles for a trade wow. to ship. Uh, 20, uh, 50 million MDMA to um, to uh, to Australia. So that route, obviously, shipping a machinery of some sort out from the UK or Ireland to Australia isn't unusual and certainly this wouldn't be the first time it seems that somebody was trying okay. to conceal drugs okay. Okay. in that sort of a, an operation. So these two men continue to be detained uh, at Garda stations in uh, is in the Kerry area and continue a questioning yeah. Yeah, at this stage? Yeah, so they have seven days from about... Um, one thirty or thereabouts on Friday. So presumably a lot will depend on whether the, the guys decided to suspend their questioning overnight okay. and exercise their right to okay. sleep. But we're talking uh, into later this week before okay, there's right. a decision by with the DPP to uh, charge or release them. But uh, I mean, the, the sums in this... Oh, sorry, the other thing you should say, you, you mentioned as well, was the army being brought in in Kerry to assist uh, Gardaí in searching premises in, in Kerry, mm-hmm. uh, either for, for further drugs or perhaps an actual lab. But I think the thinking is more towards that this came from as into a, Ireland yeah, and then it's being re rather than actually being manufactured, manufactured here. Yeah. Okay, appreciate it, Barry. As always, we're up to date. More on this after the break. Barry Rhodes on the correspondent with the Irish Times. Back after the conversation that matters. Staying with this uh, topic for a little while longer, I had a fascinating conversation last night, which I recorded with Michael O'Sullivan. He's the retired assistant Garda Commissioner. He was head of Garda Security and Intelligence. He went on then to become the director of a special EU agency dedicated to disrupting the drug trade 
across Europe. It's Kerry Bourne. Uh, he was actually more recently involved before retirement in the return of Lisa Smith to Ireland from Syria. You recall that. But going back to the 80s, he was a detective and he was one of those that helped to take down the, the heroin drug kingpin, kingpin uh, Larry Dunn. He's a fascinating man with an incredible insight into the world of drugs and drug empires. And we chatted just in general terms last night, but I began by asking him to kind of explain and, you know, to, to say if you could like kind of profile uh, a drug empire or a drug cartel, um, you know, as to how they're structured. Have a listen to this. Like, we're not talking about some fellow who's, who's sitting on the street selling, sitting on a wall selling drugs. The people behind cartels and the people behind, I suppose, the drug network, the criminal networks, the organised crime groups, they are accountants, they are businessmen, as in the financiers. Now, the people who are the real brains behind it are criminals themselves, but they need they need that whole corporate structure yeah. of legitimate and I'm not talking about this case but in general they need they need importers and exporters and guys who are legitimate businessmen and legitimate bankers and legitimate accountants mm. that's and that's how criminal operations work you know you get nowhere by having the local drug dealer setting up an import company a company and bringing stuff from Colombia and sending it up to Northern Ireland you yeah, know what I mean yeah. so it's it's a, and you you cannot and, and 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 the line of business you cannot say well I met that guy down the road and he's a nice guy yeah. so uh, he wouldn't be doing it so there, there isn't that yeah in profiling a drug uh, a person involved with an organised crime group. If you look at the people in the past who've been caught over the years, uh, they have all been, most of them, legitimate, semi-legitimate guys. You know, and and I, I can think of a half dozen examples of people who were referred to as Mr. Nobody. Mm. You know, stuff like that. People who they wouldn't look at twice. Yeah. The neighbours didn't suspect and no one suspected. So you're That's making the point that, there are, that you're, there are layers and layers upon a yeah. well-run yeah. criminal organisation that needs That's many, many... Works. Yeah, and, and otherwise it wouldn't. So it's, it's run like a very big, well-oiled business in that regard. Absolutely. If you look at the profits they have, they have to go through banks. They have to go through companies. They have to be laundered, and they ha- and they're not laundered by some bank robber or some handbag snatcher. They're laundered by people who may be builders. They may work in 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 big corporations. They they may run a legitimate business alongside it. And I'm just talking in generality, as I say, not in relation to the current operation. Totally. Let me just remind people again, we're not specifically yeah. talking about anything. I mean, I, I can, oh, yeah. you know, while, while I'm chatting with you on the air as I am right now, I, I can go through some past events, you know, done around Dunlock Bay, yeah. Dunmanus Bay, 2007, 440 yep. million euro worth of cocaine right. with a street value of 1.2 billion. Dances with Wolves, you might recall, it broke down and it'd be towed into Kinsale 2008. I know it. I, I, I know the case, yeah. 1.7 tonnes of cocaine. The MV Matthew, 160 million. And and of course, this recent one, and not getting into specifics because it's before the courts, but 33 million euro worth of crystal meth, 546 kilos in weight bound to to Australia. These, These are the ones... Michael, that that we've come across. God knows what what successfully gets through. 
Yeah, you you, you got to understand, particularly in relation to, let's say, cocaine. Cocaine is 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 a very popular drug. It's it's used not so much by people who are addicted. Sure, some people get it get addicted, but primarily it is it is a drug, a recreational drug. And because there's so much money in this country, indeed there's so much money in Europe, it is estimated that the uh, market, the annual market for cocaine in Europe is, is 13, one, three, 13 billion uh, euros. So it's, the cocaine market is increasing in Ireland. Why? Because people have the disposable income. During the recession, they hadn't got it. The dealers hadn't got it. The importers hadn't got it. And the punters hadn't got it. So we are seeing an increase in cocaine because ordinary people, people who, who don't regard themselves as criminals, people who are holding down jobs, driving big cars and have big houses and ordinary working class people decide they're going to use cocaine, not because of an addiction, but because they want to. And it suits them and it's cheap. And, and, that's, the, and that's what's driving up that's what's driving up the, the seizures and that's what's adding to criminality people who buy cocaine fail to realize that it goes back to organized crime groups and it makes them richer it it buys firearms for them and it gives them that that uh, degree of financial support and it goes back to colombia you know they don't think of that when it when they're out on a friday night and everybody's snorting a line of coke yeah. you know there's a, yeah. there are consequences yeah, and, and, and I suppose, I don't know whether it's helped or hindered by what we see on Netflix, whether it's the Narcos of yeah. El Chapo or the Narcos of yeah. Pablo Escobar or the recent one of Griselda Blanca, the connections with Mexico yeah. and Colombia. D- does, does that kind of glorify their trade then and their, and, their, and, their, and their drug empires? I think so. Well, it certainly, it certainly glorifies cocaine and it makes it seem clean and cool and sexy to, they don't see the, the people who end up addicted to it, but they equally don't see, as I say, where the money is going to. Now, another difficulty I think we've got in this country is we have we have a huge amount of cocaine in in Colombia, in various countries in, in South America, and they're trying to get it to Europe. And when they see that the Irish Navy is at the state that it's in at the moment, and they see the weakness of the Navy, and they are looking at Europe, and they are looking to see how and where they would either land it or pass close to a, a, a country. I mean, to say Ireland and the Navy has played a huge role in the interception and the monitoring mm. of vessels. I, I, I worked with the Maritime Analysis Operations Centre in Lisbon for four years there, and we relied on the Navy and, and the Air Corps to be the eyes and ears of Europe in, in the North Atlantic. How did that work then, Michael? Did you tip off the various countries? Well. In, in that sense, you tipped them off? Yeah. And I mean, I know of one case you were very much involved in was like five tonnes of cocaine yeah. with a 360 million value in 2021. How did that come about? Well, it, it comes about just the, the, the centre I worked with, I was the director of it. It contained um, a representative from one each of seven countries. So it was it was a very much a team centred approach. So that, for example, if somebody had information that cocaine was crossing from Colombia, they would then look to get somebody to monitor it. And I just remember there in 2018, it was a very big seizure there in the UK. And on, uh, only we got the Irish Navy to to mobilise as quick as they did, and they they uh, they monitored and tracked without it, uh, obviously unknown to the people, a Belgian uh, registered catamaran, and that went into the UK and it was seized with a ton and a half of coke. Now that would never have happened, hmm. only for the Irish Navy being in the right place. It's it is the strategic. 
um, a position that Ireland has that it's, it is on the roots, the roots to Northern Europe. Mm. And they are the first invariably to be in a position to, to track the vessels. And at the time I was working there, they had four, they had nine vessels in all from what I remember, and they had four operational. They now have two vessels uh, and one operational which is and is just, that, and is that you know, known to Colombia and, and Mexico and the producers of crystal meth and coke and heroin? Absolutely, because they they, they try and they, they they never waste a good crisis, and they try and prod and maneuver, and they send in vessels and they want and if they're successful, they'll send in more vessels. So they watch and wait and see where the weakest link is in Europe. And if Europe is quite strong, as we saw in the past, they then resort to what they call the cocaine highway, which is the 10 degree line of latitude, let's say between Brazil and the Gulf of Guinea. And they'd send their vessels that way because the European navals navies couldn't get down fast enough. This is all about timing. Mm. If you get information on a vessel, time is of the essence because it won't stay in one place very long and you don't know which direction it's going to go so you really need that naval service to mobilize quickly and 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 just to have the resources but explain to me why would they be coming into again you 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 won't talk about this particular case recently but other ones in the past like it why why do they come into irish waters or why do they come into an irish port if for instance the product isn't destined for ireland well, it's 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 all about it's all about um, deflecting the attention of law enforcement. Like when you consider um, if they come into Ireland, if as in the past, some of the ones you have dances with waves and those various other ones that went astray and and, and the ones in Ballycanely back in '94, all of those all of those uh, seizures, a lot of that stuff was landing at Ireland. They would put it on a truck, and once you got on a truck. You'd get into the UK with it and then on to France if you wanted, or the market could be in UK. So it is about getting it to a port on land, ASAP, yeah. and giving the impression that it's not coming from Colombia. It's, it's similar to what they do, let's say, in the port of Antwerp. When containers come in there, they bribe some of the people who operate in the cranes and that to, to put it in a section that would indicate it's within the EU. So once a, a vessel, once a product is coming from, a, it's originated in the EU, it is not checked. But if it's suddenly coming from Mexico or coming from uh, Colombia, suspicions are aroused. So it's all about getting it to land, whether you landed in the UK or you landed in Ireland. And Ireland has, as you can imagine, uh, the, the coastline, both west and south and indeed north, which is very, I won't say neglected, but it's, it's certainly relatively easy to get a vessel in, as we have seen, you know, in the past. And when you consider as well the responsibility, let's say, the, the Irish Navy, the Irish Navy covers a landmass that is nearly nine to ten times the, the square area of Ireland. So that's, that's, that's a huge responsibility and it's a huge area. And there's an awful lot of, um, uh, an awful lot of various bays and, and other areas concealed coves 
that vessels can land so in. So it's about getting it into a bay and landing it safely on a yeah. beach or whatever and getting it picked up or yeah. dropped at sea, or it's getting in, as in recent times, and again, you're not speculating about the more recent one, but apparently this crystal met was supposedly in a container hidden with um, uh, equipment, electrical equipment, electronics, and I don't know, whatever kind of stuff. And if that can be cleared in a Cork port or an Irish port, then mm. it's deemed as legitimate cargo to go into Europe. Yeah. Yeah, that that's that that is generally the 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 modus operandi of of the OCGs, and really, drugs on the high seas, they are at the most vulnerable. They are not so vulnerable when they're in a jungle in Colombia or coming down the Amazon, but they are very very vulnerable when they're on the high seas, and if they can get it past that section of of transport, if they can get it to land anywhere. You know they are they are in hugely increasing their chances of getting it on a truck or into a car and driving it anywhere, getting it into a warehouse and leaving it for a day or two. Once that happens, they're, they're well, they're almost home and dry. They're in a whole in a whole lot safer position than they were when they started out from South America. I want to finish my conversation with Michael O'Sullivan after 10 and part of it features the fact that he has been to Sinaloa in Mexico himself and has actually been to some of the sites where you would have heroin production, cocaine production and crystal meth production, all that and lots more after 10. The Neil Prenderville Show on Red FM. Yeah. Conversation that matters. They certainly do. The Neil Prenderville Show with Mercedes-Benz Cork. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the little I know about golf, I love watching it on television particularly the big matches but it's a much be it's a very different game now just like tennis is a very different game and soccer is a very different game and you know things like that um, but uh, Kevin tells me that Jack Nicklaus was actually 46 when he won his last major I think Tiger Woods is 48 now but you never know you never know you never never know he clearly still enjoys it back after the break for the second part of my conversation with Michael O'Sullivan the retired assistant Garda commissioner he was head of Garda intelligence uh, security and intelligence and headed up the special EU agency dedicated to disrupting the drug trade across Europe. Your thoughts on the drug trade and whether we are knocking a dent in it or not. Your thoughts are welcome. Text 0868104106. Back after the break. Call Neil now. 0818104106. The Neil Prenderville Show on Red FM. There was a there was a time in, in your in your career where you went to Sinaloa, Mexico, um, and they yeah. say that's you know heroin and meth and cocaine are coming out of it. Yeah. How, how yeah. come your work took you there? I mean, were you safe there? Were you undercover there? What what were you doing? I, I was um, I, well, well working with an international agency. I travelled to all of these places. I was in South America quite often, in Colombia and and Brazil and Mexico, and I was down in Peru for a while, working with the Drugs Enforcement Agency, who have offices throughout and the local the local police in these in these areas. Just working closely with them because they're very anxious to stop the flow of drugs. Europe are even more anxious to stop it coming in. So we would we would go out with the other law enforcement officials, and discuss cases and generally plan operations so it's it's important to be out there on the ground and to see the challenges they have and for them to see the challenges we have and it's it, it really is about close cooperation between various countries but did you did you, that, did you ever bust did we ever part of a bust of a met lab for instance or did you ever come across uh, a, a place where cocaine or heroin was being produced from the cocoa plant and what have you and the poppy Oh yeah, I've been to I've been to, to I've been to sites where there were 
where they were producing cocaine, which is, you know, obviously quite common. It, it's like it's the bread and butter of, of farmers in, in, in South America, particularly in Colombia. If they don't produce cocaine, well, you know, that makes a huge difference to their livelihood. Yeah. They have nothing really, you know. And there's also a mindset as well over there that if rich people in Europe want to use cocaine yeah. and they're going to pay big money for it, yeah. well, they're quite happy to produce. They don't see it as a crime. Hence the level of corruption. A lot of the police out there don't see it as a crime. The politicians, you know, this is this is, this is is a fantastic source of, of wealth for them. And it's they don't see a problem with it. That's that's the challenge. It's the two different cultures. So it's difficult to work with um, with agencies out there and uh, and try not for them not to be infiltrated by the cartels or but you know try not to get them corrupted. You know because so you, there's, there's a huge rewards. Yeah. So you're 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 working with people in these countries and you don't know whether they're crooked or corrupt themselves then. <laughs> Well, well it, what they do is they have vetted units. So the people you would, the, the police and the law, the various law enforcement agencies you would work with have been vetted by the drugs enforcement agency. They, they have been cleared to say, yeah, we can work with these guys. You just can't work with every police force in the country. You have to work with particular selected professional groups that you know are not corrupted and you know won't give intelligence back to the cartels. And the cartels are hugely powerful. You know, they're, they're, they're particularly in Mexico, you know, they are financing uh, politicians and they have an awful lot of clout. And not only have they an awful lot of clout, they have an awful lot of firepower that in areas of Mexico and like areas of Colombia, it's almost like a no-go area. You, you, the police have little or no uh, control in these areas. And these are very well-armed groups who control vast swathes of the country. Isn't that amazing? So can I just go back to the yeah. where you said you did visit some of the sites? Are, are they very basic yeah. or are they quite elaborate where they're making and producing cocaine and crystal meth labs and things? No. The, 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 the cocaine labs are, are quite... Um, the quite basic from the point of view is you get the plastic sheeting and a, a couple of bits of timber and you'd have this sort of a framework like a like a barn and it wouldn't even be as high as a barn and they would work there with the various chemicals and they'd have a lot of it covered in plastic and it's very health and safety just takes a back seat there and they produce it and uh, le- allow it to dry but it's deep in the jungle and then if 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 the army or the police arrive they move on and they rebuild another one. You know, it's it's all designed to be very mobile and to be very temporary because it's it's a matter of time before the police yeah. or the army will yeah. arrive. Yeah. But they're very they're very easily constructed, very easily made. There's an awful lot of co- I think cocaine production has almost doubled since 2021. Has that anything to do with the Taliban shutting down poppy production and growth in Afghanistan? Do you think? No, a different different ball game because the people who use heroin and the whole heroin market is completely different um, to the cocaine market. Um, the, the, you will get heroin. The her, you will get heroin from in from Mexico, but we don't get that much of it. It was primarily coming in through the Balkans from Afghanistan. Now there's a problem that a lot of the a lot of the uh, Taliban are stopping the production of 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 uh, heroin, which will have an effect on heroin addicts. But if you, in this country, I think we've got some 25, 26,000 opiate addicts, which you could basically say an awful lot of them are heroin addicts. We have a whole lot more 
people using cocaine. Okay. So yeah. the person that the person that sticks a syringe in his arm um, is a heroin addict, and he is a, he is in a different world to the guy who's snorting cocaine. And the guy who's snorting cocaine wouldn't, for the life of him, take heroin. I know, broadly I know. speaking. I know, you know, I know. different and, world. And and those that are you know producing it and exporting it and and you know losing four hundred and forty yeah. million with Dunmanus Bay and losing another one point seven yeah. tons in the Dancing with Wolves and another one hundred and sixty million in the MV Matthew and more recently yeah. this crystal meth of say for instance thirty three million can can they afford can they afford those losses Is that part of the risk? Do you think? Well, um, from the cocaine perspective, the Colombians get paid. That's for, and there is no insurance on the load, so the Colombians will be paid before that stuff leaves a port. And then it's up to a cartel to take the risk. They could lose a shipment, but they might get the next four shipments. And the profits are so vast that it's an occupational hazard. Sometimes, if they're starting off and they put enough money into it, and then they lose it. It could break an organization. It could certainly destabilize an organized crime group. But it depends on how big the cartel is. What you have now is that the media call them super cartels. You have a couple of cartels coming together. In other words, a couple of organized crime groups pooling money to bring in cocaine, let's say, on an industrial level. You know, it's gone are the days when they put, uh, they put it on a, a ton of it on a yacht and it would come across. Sure, it still happens. Mm. But what they're doing now is putting five, six, seven tons. We, we got 11 tons off the coast of Cape Verde back in 2021. You know, they're putting multi-ton loads and it, it decreases the price they have to pay in Colombia and quadruples their profits. And that's when a whole group of guys come together, a whole group of OCGs and put money in. But if they lose that, it's spread out among the four or five OCGs and depending on their finances will depend on whether they'll survive to do another run. But certainly if they lose a second run like that, their finances are very stretched. But in spite of all of that, though, and the year that we're living in now and the recent decade or a couple of decades, it seems to be a thriving industry that will continue to thrive in spite of interceptions or in spite of tip-offs or seizures, isn't it? It's, It's inevitable that it will continue to grow. Um, the drugs trade is never going to stop. But as long as you have a consumer base, if you don't re- reduce the consumer base, if you don't get the message out to people that if you take coke, it's going to affect your brain, to say nothing of the money you're giving to criminals and all of the harmful effects of cocaine, if people don't see that and if they continue to use it like they're going to get a couple of pints in the pub next Friday or Saturday, if they think like that, the market will stay the way it is. And if you lax the market, if you decriminalize it or legalize it, the market gets bigger. And when it gets bigger, more people want to buy it. Now, that is different, as I say, from the heroin trade. But heroin and cocaine will always be with us. The level it'll be with us will largely depend on the number of people who want to use it. The number of people who want to use cocaine at the moment is increasing. Why? Because they want to Mm. and because they have the money and because they can. Mm. You wouldn't see these levels. You wouldn't see these levels 10 years ago. And as for 20 years ago, I remember back in the early 80s, you know, if you seized in a year 2,000 pounds back in the day uh, worth of of cocaine in a year, that was a lot. People didn't use it. People were too poor to use it. Mm. The people who were using drugs were either smoking hash 
or heroin addicts were using heroin. Cocaine mm. just wasn't an issue. As Ireland became more wealthy, cocaine grew. And is there any argument to be made then that an awful lot of these people use it as a social, um, it's a social drug, they see it at the weekend. You, you, you use the term yeah. a, few, yeah. a few snorts at the weekend, but they still manage to yeah. hold down their job or they're responsible human yeah. beings. Is there, is there any reason yeah. for it to be illegal in the first place if they're functioning fine with it? Well, well, for starters, it's a dangerous drug. It certainly affects your affects your body. It affects your it affects your brain. A lot of people, a proportion of people, will go on if they use it enough to become addicted to it. And there's no going back at that stage. They have, they need treatment. But if if you're saying is it is it, you know, harmless? These guys are using it to hold down a job. Well, they're not going to hold down a job if they keep using it for about two years because they'll spend every penny on it. And they'll become a wreck. So it is. It is a highly dangerous, very addictive drug, and um, it is. And anyone who thinks otherwise, and I think this is where the the whole health education piece should come in. You you, you see cocaine on the screen, and it looks sexy and attractive, and film stars are using it, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You rarely see an advertisement saying, "Look here, this this is what it does to your brain, yeah. and this is what it will do to your body, and this is where you'll be in eighteen months' time." You know, and that's and you don't see young people don't see that. And and there's a definite need for it, you know. And and then again, because we have issues before the courts, so I won't talk about the recent Mm -hmm. case and and you're not in a position to do that. But yes, it would appear that this is a crystal meth seizure of 546 kilos. We we do know that crystal meth is is, um, a seriously dangerous product, isn't it? Crystal meth's very, very dangerous, and it's a very specialised field in, in in preparing the methamphetamine into crystal meth. Uh, not terribly popular in Ireland. There isn't a huge market for it, but it's very, very dangerous. Yeah, it's a really dangerous drug. All of the all illegal drugs are dangerous, but crystal meth is particularly dangerous. Yeah. And just finally, Michael, before I let you go, and again, this is somewhat back to what we've seen on our television screens. Um, you know, El Chapo's in jail. He will never see the light of day. Apparently, the next generation, I don't know, are they sons or grandchildren or cousins of his? They call them El Chapitos. Th- they have taken yes, over. Sons. Yeah, But yeah. D- don't you think that by and large, they all led awful lives in spite of their huge amount of wealth, didn't they? They they either, like El Chapo, will spend the rest of his days in jail. Uh, Griselda Blanca was shot down in Mexico coming out of a butcher shop. Uh, we all know that Pablo Escobar was also chased down and shot on the roof in, in Colombia. They're, they're awful, depressing, worrying, dull, awful lives. Yeah. Awful lives. Life is cheap out there. And if for a couple of years they can live like lords, well, that's what they'll do. And what's the alternative? A lot of them are living in slums, a very low standard of living, very little money. And they see this get rich quick situation and they realize the cute ones will get rich quick and stay for a couple of years. But they all run out of road. And that is and that is the same, I have to say, in Ireland. Guys who are in organized crime groups, they're making a lot of money and driving big cars. But at the end of the day, they run out of road one way or the other. But can you they either ex- end up in jail yeah. or end up dead. But can you explain to me why time after time after time, or at least the ones that we know of from the news, yeah. I'm always wondering, why don't, why don't they get out when the time is right to get out? They never seem to, that never seems to click with them. I think because 
you, you, you get in and you take control of an organization. And if you're not strong enough, and if you don't keep the others down, either a rival group or your own people will do you in or overthrow you. So once you get on top, you have to stay on top. There's no retirement scheme. You're not saying I'm going off now to the Canaries. I'm going to finish now. Can you, you not just? Could you not just it, disappear? No. D- no, you couldn't. Very few people have managed to disappear. Very, very few. Certainly, no Irish people have managed to disappear. But no, very, very few people disappear because it's the nature of the beast that they end up getting found eventually. Fascinating conversation. Michael O'Sullivan, thank you so much for taking the time at short notice. I do appreciate it, but it's a fascinating conversation and thank you for it. Amazing conversation. Michael O'Sullivan, retired assistant Garda Commissioner, head of Garda Security and Intelligence, and also was the director of the special EU agency dedicated to disrupting the drug trade across Europe. He said some very interesting things. Uh, you know, we can talk about drug policies as to whether they work or not. Uh, you know, you can, you can talk about, um, you know, cocaine use being totally different to heroin and those that use cocaine, he said, would never dream in a million years to, to actually move on to heroin by and large. He says cocaine users by and large would never turn to heroin that, you know, the, the whole issue of snorting lines of cocaine at the weekend mean that cocaine will always be with us. In fact, will become more and more popular because he says uh, people have the money now. If you looked a decade or so ago or even maybe even a little bit longer than that, um, people didn't have the money. They were much poorer. But as Ireland became more wealthy, the use of cocaine grew and will continue to do so. Your thoughts are welcome. Text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on 0818104106. We're back after the break. Text or WhatsApp Neil now. 0868104106. The Neil Prenderville Show on Red FM. Keep those texts coming. The discussion on drugs is a very interesting one and your conversation with Michael O'Sullivan, he has a vast amount of knowledge. Could you ask why we have not over the years invested in stopping all of this. Well, I said, well, how much do you invest? You know, it's like trying to plug a hole uh, in the in the dike, as the fellow says. But just after having um, oh, well, I'll come back to other, oh yeah, this is interesting. I'll talk to Sean in a few minutes about this one as to what he observed inside in a particular car park in Cork City recently. But keep those texts coming. Text 0868104106 as I flip back uh, to our uh, our live calls. Martin, good morning. Good morning, Neil. Um, so I'm assuming you heard Michael O'Sullivan talk um, to me there. Yeah, I was listening. Uh, yeah, I, there, I, mean, yeah. I, I found it. I found it fascinating. You you, you wanted to pick up on on, um, on on seizures in general that they do absolutely nothing really to interrupt the supply of drugs. You believe? Yeah, and and the guards have actually admitted this there. Uh, geez, I believe sometime last year they admitted that regardless of these significant seizures they make, they've they've done little to interrupt the supply of drugs in cities, towns, and villages across Ireland. That the the supply is uh, has been available uh, constantly. And uh, I sent a video there as well that was uh, created by uh, Neil Woods, an ex-undercover cop in the UK who... Okay, I watched, like I watched that. Sullivan. Let's, let's talk about that. He, yeah. he, he is saying... But you tell me what he's saying rather than me hogging the limelight. Yeah, no, he, he's just explaining how... Um, that what I just said there, these significant seizures that they made and the, the risks that these uh, these undercover cops put themselves at. Um, and that at most, he interrupted the drug supply. You know, they, they would have estimated by about seven seconds. That's kind of by his estimations as uh, an undercover cop of, uh, I believe, nearly 30, 40 years. Um, and like he's a, he's a lot of insight there into this. And kind of looking back now, he sees, you know, they, they needlessly put their lives at risk. 
You, yeah, the, I, I watched that clip and part of it is he, he, he shows photographs of the different drug halls that the police like to put up on tables and show the public. And he says, uh, politicians right. love these photo opportunities with the drugs up on the table. The police like these opportunities. The media loves taking photographs, but it doesn't make, yeah. it doesn't make a damn of a difference. No, no, it doesn't. Uh, Hildegard Notton, uh, Minister Responsibility for National Drug Strategy, she had a video out there yesterday being promoted by Fine Gael and they're, they're congratulating the guards, but like, what actually for? They take these drugs away, but the supply is there. They don't interrupt it. As Michael said himself, the production of cocaine has doubled since 2022. Like, that, that says a lot about the efforts and or the effectiveness of the efforts by these organisations. So and, and it seems like that the way the world is going, we're moving away from prohibition and we're acknowledging that um, the, the effort took over 50 years of, of this model of prohibition. Um, we, we've done little, we've only empowered these organised crime gangs so where, more. Where would you, where would you have a, a perfect scenario that already exists where cocaine was legal, heroin was legal, yeah, crystal meth I'm, I'm was legal? I'm glad you said that because you, you mentioned two things there. Say cocaine and heroin. These are both extracts from a plant. Now if we were to, to regulate these things, I, I would propose that these would be maybe available under a medical prescription of some sort, cocaine and heroin. But the plants that they actually come from, that you would afford people access to these plants like coccoles, which have been used traditionally for thousands of years by people in South America to deal with the high altitudes, with little effect on their cognitive abilities and their body. Um, but when you extract it, purify, concentrate it into cocaine, then you are definitely going to cause problems. But why do you say? Okay, but why do you say that cocaine or heroin? Did you say would be available on a prescription? Um, because of, if, if there's people out there currently addicted to it then maybe on under like working with a health professional yeah. that they can kind of transition from a prescription of the cocaine to maybe just a less harmful form of the coca leaf um, or, or for a person again injecting uh, heroin that maybe you might transition them to, to smoking who, opium as, who, as, a, as a form of harm the, reduction Yeah but that's what we use methadone for, for for heroin isn't it? Just get off the heroin yeah, and that, get onto the uh, methadone that, that's right, but even methadone itself, it's uh, like it's, it's it's a new enough substance. It's not been used traditionally, like say even opium was for for a very long time. Um, there's a long history there of opium use uh, by, by humans, whereas methadone, as I say, it's a it's a concentrated chemical compound. Um, you know, you take this thing for a prolonged period of time, it's going to be just as harmful as like cocaine and heroin would be uh, over a long period what of time. Did, what did Portugal decriminalise? Uh, possession of small amounts of, of, of what drugs? Um, they decriminalised small amounts of all drugs. Um, so uh, they, they classified what up the 10-day supply was and they decriminalised that 10-day supply. If a person gets caught with more than that, they, they're still in trouble for sale and supply. If they get caught with under that amount, then um, I believe it's taken off them um, and are referred to health services, which okay, is well, what's would that been... be cocaine and heroin or crystal meth? Yeah, I thought that would be cocaine, heroin, um, crystal meth, all, all drugs. Right. And is it too early to say, has it made any difference to addiction rates or people trying to get into rehab or more people strung out or, or what? Yeah, there's definitely evidence there to suggest that it's uh, reduced the addiction rates over there because the, the access to the, the services that will help these people um, because you reduce the stigma associated with the drugs, then the problem of addiction can be more easily addressed because the person's not fearful of being judged and stigmatised. 
Yeah, but wouldn't it be an insane thing to do to even in small quantities um, legalise heroin when we know that there's no happy ending on heroin unless you're lucky enough and it's apparently very hard to kick the addiction. Like there's no upside to sticking a heroin needle in your arm. Neil, I, I would love for you to give uh, a, a very um, qualified neurologist. Uh, he's a, a highly accredited academic. His name is um, Carl Hart. And he uses heroin himself uh, recreationally. And this guy has got uh, numerous studies actually published in uh, in different academic journals. Um, yeah, I, I don't dispute that. He probably, I don't know, does he microdose? But no, they, they say that a lot of people who uh, go on to use heroin have had an awful lot of trauma in their lives and issues in their lives or in their childhood. And they're turning to things like heroin to block those out. So they wouldn't have had the most ideal lifestyle or background to be able to deal with it. Exactly. And you're getting to a very good thing there because that would be the difference between somebody like Carol Hart and somebody suffering trauma. Carl Hart doesn't have the same trauma that another person might have. And so therefore, he wouldn't suffer the same abuse of this thing. You're also escaping their minds, the, the, the kind of the trauma that's going on in there. I mean, what, what, what do you, 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 you use cannabis. Is it just cannabis? Uh, yeah, I've only used cannabis, yeah. Okay, okay. But why, why not if there's nothing wrong with cocaine or, or heroin? Why don't you source a bit of that? Um, because that's my choice, Neil. Uh, alcohol is uh, freely available. You know, I can go walk into an off license yeah. and buy that. I don't use that either. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. a personal choice I make for myself, just based upon um, my own preferences. Michael O'Sullivan then says he says though that you only hear about the sexy image of people snorting lines of cocaine at the weekend uh, he talks about somebody that might be a regular user whose life will be hugely different in two and a half years two, two and a half years of doing just that uh, he says that all of their money will be gone they'll probably have lost their jobs they'll have lots of different health implications do you not accept that he kind of know what he's talking about? I, I I would like to Neil, but I, I I unfortunately I've been around this for too long and engaged in this uh, conversation. I know too many people who own businesses. Like M- Michael actually mentioned it there himself. Like people of all walks of life are involved in this. Bankers, uh, lawyers, yeah. even gar- even guards themselves, Neil. You know that they're they're it. involved in this. Um, so people of all walks of life are in- involved in this. Um, so and it's not imp- it's, it's not impacting on their life in any way, shape, or form. Exactly, okay. the people who impacting you know, are people who've been traumatized earlier on and, and suffer addiction. The same the same way a person who suffers addiction with alcohol, quite often or not, this addiction is uh, you know it, it arises from past traumas. Let me talk to Con- let me so, talk to let me talk to Tom O'Connell. Thank you for that, uh, Martin, because he actually was uh, in town there recently. Spent an hour in town walking around the city centre. Uh, Tom, good morning. Uh, part, go ahead anyway, just just pick me up in your on your scove around town. Yeah, well it's uh, it's not so much as a scove around town. I, I I I go to town, I go to the city since I retired, I go to the city maybe four times a week, five times a week. I like Hawk City. And um I'd have a coffee in two places. One would be on Oliver Plunker Street and one would be just off of Oliver Plunker Street. And any time that I'm sitting down having my coffee, looking out the window, I can see deals going down. You can it's, actually it's, see. It's common. Yeah. It happens all the time. Yeah. Like, it's, it's just natural. Well, what do you see? One guy approaching another guy and then something changing hands? Look, 
it's not even disguised. It's not even disguised anymore. There's nothing short up about it. It's just done. I'll give you an example, if you like. I was... I go into town every single Saturday and I join the March for Palestine. Now, if I'm a bit late coming down Patrick Street, I go to Dawn Square and meet the rally coming around there mm. and walk with them. So I was still there. This would probably be about three weeks ago. And across the road from where I was stood, I was just looking around at nothing in particular as one would do in down the city. I see two guys standing over, you know, that little three-column building on the corner of Patrick Street and the Grand Parade. I do, I yeah, do. It's like a, yeah, 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 yeah. It's like a yeah. flat iron, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I see two guys standing there, and what, what caught my attention is that they were both dressed very similar and looked very similar, black hair and black outfits on. But one of them crossed the road so just outside a fast food restaurant, done a deal with some lady, and walked back over again. And you saw something change hands, did you? Over. You saw things changing yeah, hands. Did you? Okay. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, I saw the full. I saw the, the full monte. Like I saw, I saw him handing her something, and she handed him money. Yeah. So yeah. I saw that. Right? No. I looked at, and he done two deals. Well, actually, no, they alternated. They done two further deals. Now, this is a time when there was plenty of Gaudi in the city. They were coming over from the Bridewell to police the march. They were coming down from Patrick Street. And they were passing these guys. Now, if I could observe it, just as a casual observer, these are supposed to be trained observers. Yeah, but in that case, that particular incident, they may just not have been there at the exact time that it happened, so didn't see what you saw. No, I didn't see what I saw, what but these, these two guys, look, when I saw, the, when I look over and saw these two people standing by this building, right, it kind of triggered, triggered something in me, because they looked so similar, they didn't look like they had any purpose they weren't really in conversation with each other. They were just looking across the road, the two of them. Okay, so dealers. And you and you see this regularly when you sit having a copy of coffee and you sit again. But, but you, I've, I've also been in there and I've seen undercover guardie and undercover detectives in plain clothes arresting dealers. I mean, we want more of it. But, yeah. I, I, you know, the, the last time was only a couple of months ago. I just happened to be walking down Oliver Blanca Street and they had a guy pinned up against the doorway of a shop. Uh, and clearly... He had just been caught dealing. So it does, they do... I'm sure. I'm sure occasionally they do. Okay. But there are more people caught for shoplifting and, and arrested for shoplifting than there was for drug dealing. Okay. And, okay. Yeah, it's just, that's a fact. All right, thanks, Tom. Appreciate what you see inside in the city. Uh, big, big picture stuff, though, is, you know, we have seizure after seizure after seizure, uh, and a lot of them big. Again, I mentioned earlier on this morning, 400 million down off the mizzen in 2008. That was Dances with Wolves. Then you had uh, the big seizure of another luxury yacht that was carrying nearly 300 million euro worth of cocaine in 2014. Uh, we also had, just mentioning a few of them more recently, uh, in 2023, the MV Matthew with... Uh, 150 
57 million euro worth of cocaine, two tons of it was probably worth half a billion on the open market. And then Dunlock Bay, where they, you know, that's the one where they messed up with the with the rib and put the wrong fuel into it. That was a seizure of uh, 450 million euro worth of of cocaine in 2007. But having said that, there's an awful lot more use of cocaine now and distribution of cocaine now in 2024 than there was back in 2007 and 2008 in spite of those two big massive interceptions and hauls. Uh, back to the phone lines we go. Jim, good morning. All you need. So in spite of all of these massive big busts if you like, they're not making a blind bit of difference. They're not making a dent in it. Not a dent. And they've been at this now for 20, 30 years. There's only worse is getting and it's doing more damage. So something has to change. Um, and I honestly feel we should legalise the whole bloody lot of it and then try to control it the right way around because it's not working the way it is now. But um, how would you control the chaos that heroin brings? There's no upside to heroin. Well, look, if it's legal, we know who's spending and we know who's, how much they're spending and we'll take, the, we'll take the criminals out of it and we'll leave, well, I was going to say, we'll leave the other criminals at it from the earlier on, but we'll leave, we'll leave the government at it, um, leave the revenue at it and all that money can be put back into righting the wrongs. Um, you know, at the moment, it's just headless. I mean, people can go to work and they have cocaine on them or they have heroin on them. We have judges doing this, we have cops on it, we have... You know, at least, oh, there's total hypocrisy on it. Yeah, there is total and utter hypocrisy, I know. People tut-tut, but yet, vast majority, yeah. even the tutters, are you snorting lines of cocaine at the weekend. But could you imagine the utter chaos if we have a problem like we do already with the likes of crystal meth or indeed coke, uh, heroin or crack cocaine, which is big on in Cork now, crack the smoking of crack cocaine. Do you imagine if it was legalised? I mean, it would just yeah. lead to all sorts of issues regarding our health services and our interventions. Yeah, well, we already have all those problems, but I think we're missing, like, there's kind of different levels of people. You have people who are totally on this cocaine and crack and everything, and they're past help. You, you know, you can see their brains are gone. I get that bit, right? But then you have another underlying element of society where guys are on cocaine or this crack, and they're still functioning at work, they're functioning in their homes, but it's causing other big problems, especially including their health. Whereas if it was legalised, we could, we could do something for those at the levels that we could help. But how do you um, know that somebody's doing a few lines at the weekend now won't be doing twice as much in a month's time or in six months' time, four or five times, ten times as much? And in 12 or two years' time, their nose has fallen apart, their health is gone, their brains are shot to bits, they've lost all their money. How, like, surely that's the progression, isn't it? Well, at least you're, you're, assuming, you're assuming that if it became legal that... that, that, that it's, it's going to get worse, right? But it's going to get worse regardless. The guy that's on two lines today is going to be on four lines next month, right? That's just the way it is. But if we legalise this, right, then his family's aware of it. Everyone's aware and they're going to say, hey, can make fuck's sake, right? That's, you're taking too much. Slow down, man. Yeah. Oh, look, there's help there. And it, it stops being... Look, there was a time where this was all hidden. It's not hidden anymore. Someone has cocaine. No, we all know about it. And we all talk to our families about it. And we talk to our friends about it. And there's a, there's a lot of groups of people out there to help people, you know? There's what? There's a lot of groups now that could get around the individual that's on it. Not just his family, his friends help him, you know? Yeah, I don't, I don't, know, about, I don't know about that. I mean, like, the, the only help that you can get is help to get off it, you know? Or a, a place in, in rehab, which is next to impossible yeah. unless you've got lots of money. Yeah, well, that's... that's look, I, I just feel that if it's legalised... And the government are controlling the money. At least that's one problem gone off the area. At least the criminals haven't got it and they're not coming up to your door and they're not threatening to burn your house, you know. 
if you're getting it from a chemist, the chemist isn't going to come up to your house and threaten the bone. Like, you know, let's take out. It's affecting everyone else. Let's try and move some of that away from the ordinary man and woman, you know? All right, appreciate that. Cool. Text 0868104106. Incidentally, uh, Seamus was downtown the back end of uh, last week. He was doing different types of work at the time and recording audio and what have you. But he got uh, to chat with a girl by the name of... Is that That's a, that's a name change, isn't it? Yeah, Jennifer. We call her Jennifer. She just had a brief chat with her. It was only about five or six minutes uh, long, but uh, we talked about... He talked recently with, with Jennifer, who's been on the streets since she was 18. She started using heroin and spice. You'll hear her talk about it, uh, but over 20 years ago. Uh, she now smokes crack cocaine. Um, and this is possibly just a, a typical story uh, from users on the streets of Cork. Uh, am I to be on the 20 year and clean 12 months? And what were you taking? Uh, I tell you now exactly, and then I could like to throw incense. Yeah. Spice. Yeah. I met the daughter. 20, I'm 20 year an addict, right? Yeah. And one day I woke up, I was dying sick, and there was a bag of heroin inside of me. You know what I done? I said, I don't want this. And this web is there, you know what I mean? I don't want this. You know what I done? I got her open the bag. I don't want it, brought the chain. I don't want it anymore. Take a methadone, I missed it last week, yeah, right? When did you start taking drugs? At the age of day, I tell you the truth, I won't lie. I was in an orphanage from the age of two to three, giving back to my mum from three to four, taking then from violence between my mum and my dad and drink. No violence towards us or anything like that. We were put into care then, the order was... Um, my mother and father just had an awful drink problem. No, don't get me wrong, we were never neglected the best clothes and we were always fed everything and I'd be taking out my mama five. I was given back at six and taken again at seven. And I started running then when I was 18. And the judge said to me when I went to court, he said, um, can you answer me a question? I said, Your Honor, I can. He said, like, you're coming into me every month. Like, why do you keep running home? I said, do you not get it? And he said to me, I don't, could you stand in the dock? And I did. And he said, um, I said, Ron, I want to be with my mum and dad. And you know what he turned around and said? He said, I probably guess that. The yeah. girl wouldn't have keep him running home if she didn't want to be there. Yeah. That must have been a, a big disruption in your life when you're kind of in care one minute, you're back home with your parents again and back in care. That and must have had some effect on you. Totally. Well, and that's from cutting, uh, is it? I'm not going to join my other arm. Zero arm works, is it? I was told when I was in care at 18, I was set up. Set up for like, not second. Yeah. I had time to go. So have you been on the streets now since you were 18? No, I'm living up in Capel, but it's infested in mice. And how did you get into taking drugs then? Was that from 18, was it? Uh, yeah. When I was put out of care, um, first place I went was to Cork Town, Cork Town the community and it was offered to me a little Shoot it, no any better, did you? So, I was uh, 17 and a 20 year an addict and annoying. And is that heroin for 20 years? Heroin for 20 years and 12 months. And you're doing well, so. Yeah, I am. But, but like, there's, there's, a, there's a lot of heroin now around the streets of Cork. No, no. No, there's not a lot of heroin at all around Cork. It's not. No? No. Because I know that back in October there was about eight people overdosed on heroin in one week. It was a bad batch that came to Cork. Yes, there was a bad batch that came to Cork. I read at one stage and everyone was warned there was um, signs put on pause. I read them myself so everybody could be please be careful. Mm. And there was a WhatsApp group then going around Simon then telling you to stay away from certain dealers, wasn't there? Yeah. 
then dirty done on Simon Lee number crack and coke and all that. Yeah. You're saying that there's not much heroin because I can see that there's people coming from Dublin on the they're coming by train and coming by bus. They coming down looking for heroin here. I can tell you now, right? There is no heroin in Cork, okay? I, I'm off it a lot, of, a long, long time, okay? I find that hard to believe, though. 16 people, if not 20 today, asked me could I get heroin. That many? And is it that the only, thing, the only thing that's in Cork is crack cocaine. And are there many on And loads of And can I say something? It's ruining everybody. In what way? In, they, like, uh, they went home at night and their mother had to cure in their wallet. They know to wake up in the morning, they had none. Yeah. And, like, how much is crack cocaine? Sorry, crack cocaine, yeah. How much would it cost me, though, if I was to... If you were to buy, yeah, uh, 50 rock. Yeah. It'd be 50, but if you were to buy a 25, it'd be 25. And what sort of effect does that have on you it's when you like take it? It's like a high low, high low. I don't like it, I hate it. Do you? Are you smoking the crack cocaine or, or what? When I do get a bit of crack, when I get, when I get paid on a Wednesday, I buy a 50 rock. And that 50 rock is small and that will do me. I get that at half a ten, OK? Yeah. And that will do me to 12 o'clock time. Would you make much on the streets now begging? No. No. No, the Romanians no. Why? Romanians like Romanians are ruined. They have the place ruined, do they? In what way? They're only coming because they know it's, this is the season now where there's money to be made. And you know the Romanians. But would, cri- would they, Christmas like not be the time come in, money? Listen, yeah, but at this time as well, Easter and all that. Yeah. Listen, like if you get, I know probably you'll be asleep at seven o'clock in the morning, but you know if you came into town at seven, yeah. you see all the Romanians being dropped off from the NW. My God. Mum, so, I seen it. I took a picture of it. Did you? And are you certain it's crack cocaine, that it's not laced with anything like nitazine no. or anything like that? It's definitely crack. Yeah. It's crack, but it's not washed up properly. Call Neil now. 0818 The Neil Prenderville Show on Red FM. OK, lots to do between now and midday on The Neil Prenderville Show with Mercedes-Benz Cork. Just some text so far in the north. Actually, it's interesting. Jennifer was saying that there actually is a heroin shortage now in Cork and the gap is being full, filled with high demand for crack cocaine. So doesn't that matter? Doesn't that really make, make you think that, say, for instance, if there was a uh, an ongoing shortage of heroin or an ongoing shortage of crack cocaine, that that then would be filled by fentanyl or could ultimately be filled by crystal meth. I mean, somebody was very, very heavily addicted to heroin. What's to say that they wouldn't flip to to crystal meth just to continue uh, to, you know, try and and, and, uh, and stave off the cravings? The north side is destroyed with heroin. The dogs on the street know who's dealing up here and supplying, yet nothing is ever done. Why? Uh, another one here, wouldn't it be better just to legalise all drugs and the government tax it no matter what you try to do stopping drugs getting into a country? Uh, it just can't be stopped. I know that 70,000 people died of fentanyl in America in 2022 
alone. The only way to stop drug cartels is to take away their product, legalise and regulate everything and we win the war on drugs overnight. Then use the taxes from the sale for education and rehab. The current war on drugs has not worked, Neil, and will, not, will continue not to work. After Portugal, Paddy says, after Portugal legalised possession of drugs, possession charges went down, muggings, robberies and assaults rocketed. Go figure. Look at the socialites of the Celtic Tiger era. How many of them are now dead or been in jail or in trouble with gangs? No one ever wins with drugs. Full stop, uh, says Paddy. And a final one. I actually have a friend uh, who started out on hash. Uh, They are now heroin users and heroin abusers and had to rehab even because of cocaine use. Thank you for those. Keep them coming. Text 0868104106. Sad news to report this morning, and thank you to the people who've been texting me uh, since early morning. Uh, Here's a typical one saying, just wanted to let you know that Joan O'Keefe died peacefully last Friday at Douglas Nursing Home. Joan was 104 years old in November, and Neil, you gave her a great shout-out on the air for her 104th birthday. I remember it. Uh, You might remember that Joan went viral on social media for her first trip leaving the nursing home since the pandemic and she headed out to grab a 99 to celebrate her 100th birthday after the pandemic restrictions lifted. Thank you for that. So it was very sad to hear and our thoughts are with the family and friends of the late Joan O'Keefe who died peacefully uh, on Friday at Douglas Nursing Home at the hale and hearty age of 104, 104 great years. Uh, and it's sad to hear that news because a great character she was too. Back after 11, text 0868 Pick up the phone on 0818 The Neil Prenderville Show on Red FM. Conversation that matters. Neil Prenderville Show with Mercedes-Benz Cork. And it's always lovely when people come back and say thank you. So thanks to Paul, he went to Sexy Laundry uh, recently, they went on Saturday night um, and really and truly enjoyed it. Found it hilarious and sad. And there were a lot of couples. It has to do with relationships between couples. He says a lot of couples in the audience could have been looking at themselves and thinking, hmm, that's us. Brilliant performance. He thoroughly enjoyed it. And also to those that won George Murphy tickets for last night's gig at the Opera House. Just wanted to send a message. Thank you so much for the tickets I won on Friday's show. I went to George Murphy last night and it was fab. Gerald and Trevor Sexton were outstanding too. George Murphy called into Cashman's before the show and sang for us all in the pub. That was a performance as well. Uh, from other topics this morning, I'm reading a lot these days about a certain group of people, young kids and teens, of the same background terrorising the good people of Farnry. And this has to stop. If these vile people terrorise innocent people, wreck their property, should the council not evict them from their own council properties? Concerned neighbours in Farnry, uh, it's shameful what's going on up here. The area is being ruined. They are the same gang uh, in the Blackpool area threatening staff in the shopping centre. It's a disgusting behaviour by a disgusting group of individuals, says Emily. I think that was prompted by me talking about Douglas and Carrigaline earlier on this morning. And then tongue-in-cheek, I also mentioned earlier on this morning the golden handshakes within RTE. Paddy says, pay your television licence people 
Those golden handshakes won't pay for themselves. Your superiors demand your money. You don't need it in their eyes, says Paddy. And some wag is saying there's a poll. I was talking about uh, whether or not there would ever be a referendum on a United Ireland. An unsigned texter says there's also a poll out today on a United Ireland. 46% of people are against it. Uh, 26% are for it. Not good news for your pals. The um, suggestion there is that my pals are Sinn Féin. And then I may have an opportunity at some stage to talk to Sean, but he says, I was just had the dubious pleasure of paying €6.60 for 90 minutes in a city centre car park on Friday. Heading back to my car, three men waltzed in, got their stash out from behind a ventilation system in the car park and then lit up a type of pipe while they chatted away amongst themselves. Apparently, I'm told, it was crack cocaine or heroin that they smoked. I found out later. As usual, when I go to town, not a Garda to be seen anywhere, says Sean. So their place um, for use, of course, uh, where they um, smoke their pipe and chat amongst themselves at the different floors in the city centre car parks. Um, We've all seen the paraphernalia that's left behind, but in Sean's case, he saw them light up the pipe and share it amongst three of them. Text 0868104106. Tony's standing by. We'll come back after the break. Call Neil now. 0818104106. The Neil Prenderville Show on Red FM. Uh, welcome past Douglas Village Shopping Centre on Wednesday. And there I see a group of young fellas throwing eggs at the nail bar window. The girl from there opened the door and they threw one at her and threw it into the nail bar. Then they ran into the shopping centre and were throwing eggs in there as well. They hit a man, and not one security guard was around at the time. These days, the kids just don't care. They don't fear anyone, not even the guards, and they will probably do this again. Can I just say, that is a regular occurrence in the area. I often see smashed eggs, the yolk and the shell of them, all over Douglas, again, uh, at the weekend. So, obviously, I'm seeing what you actually saw happen. I've also seen them going into a housing estate. So, a lot of the time, they're on bikes when they hit the housing estates. I'm talking about the Douglas area uh, and while they're moving through these estates they're literally firing the eggs at the front window and it, you get an awful fright as well I mean if it's happened to you you'll, you'll know there's a terrible terrible bang but do you ever try and get that stuff off your concrete or your windowsills or your windows I mean it is the hardest thing and the harder you're trying to get this stuff off the angrier you get with the yobs and the thugs and the idiots that have thrown it in the first place they're completely and utterly brain dead let me get back to the phone lines Tony good morning I think think you have a point of view in a minute on these young thugs and what should happen to them but your text is interesting first of all let me say your cock's answer to Gabor. Oh, well, fair play. Thank you. Thank you for that. And and I, I think I think you're very educated, you're very polite, and you're very kind. To well, thank you. Come thank on. you for that. I mean, I wouldn't and be, I wouldn't be capable of holding Gabor's coat, but anyway, go ahead. the whole city, sorry, it's about time the whole city said that about you. Well, thank you. You're very kind. Much obliged. So, just on the topic we were talking about this morning, you started your text by saying guards are not the, not the enemy. Well, we know that they're not the enemy. Neil, I love the guards. L-O-V-E. I love the guards. Do you know why? Hmm? Because in, 19, in 1922, they took allegiance to uphold the Constitution. Yeah. The guards are wonderful. And you know something? The general public should view the guards as their friends because that's what they are. Oh, the, what? Only person that, the only person that thinks the guards are enemies are those who are breaking the law. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. I, I, I've told the guards, I've walked up to town, up, up, up in town to the guards. And I, I, I told him I love him. It's, it's, it's a strange thing. But I, and some of them nearly start crying. Nobody ever says that to them. You, you actually go up and publicly thank them for their service. I would. I, would, I do. Yeah. I do constantly. Yeah. And I, I said to the fellow last Saturday, I said, I, I really love the guards. It must be something wrong with me. He said, you told me that last week. When I said this week, I mean it. <laughs> did, you, did you go somewhere to thank them for the crystal meth seizure? I, I, went, I, went, I went to Angus Street last night. I just walked in and I had to join the queue. But no, I didn't. There was nobody there. But I went up to the guards. Guards, and I, I said, I just want to congratulate the guards and thank you for catching these guys togs with a turkey three million worth of drugs destroying teenagers in the city. And what do they what I mean, do they say to you at the hatch? Thank you so much. No, they're always they're very pleasant. They're, they're lovely people. I'm telling you, the guards are lovely people. And I, I I know a friend friend of mine. His son was going to join the guards, but he didn't. He became an electrician. I tell you why. He spotted his fellas spitting at the guards. Could you believe that? The very people that when you're in trouble, who do you call? You call the guards. Well, and, I and know that, and and also, of course, the terms and conditions and the pay and everything leave a lot to be desired. But the criticism, unfortunately, is that you don't see them around anymore. Oh, you do. You just start down playing clothes, and you have the rapid response going around with machine guns. So they're all right. The guards are around, all right, and they're doing a great job, and there's a great deterrent on the streets. And I've seen a great deterrent on the streets. There's a deterrent of violence on the streets and all that kind of stuff. But I'm just saying, I've seen Gaddy arrest people with such kindness and so polite. And they've been trained. They've been trained to be polite. I've seen vanguardies. I know you call them lady guardies. No, not vanguardies. I think, but they're so lovely. But 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 why, why then do you talk about the scumbags that don't have any respect for them and end up getting off with everything because they're underage? Or yeah. Listen, Neil, these two fellas, the three fellas, are they arrested for this twenty-three million? Okay, I can't talk. I can't talk about them. So let's leave that alone. That's before the courts. You okay, said you have these scumbags, and even when they're caught, you say no. Don't don't talk about that case, or I'll have to end the conversation. But you talk about the scumbags who you say these are your words. Even when they're caught, they're held, and then they end up getting off scot-free when they should be thrown in jail and fed bread and water for a while. I say that, Jess, and I, I stand over it. They, they, see, the situation is, I believe if I became Taoiseach, and you never know, I might, I would bring in, first of all, the birch, would you? and I would bring in, I would bring in, I would bring in the death penalty. Now, I, we might not have to enforce it, but it would be deterrent against these guys. They're waltzing around. They could flaunt in the name of, uh, in the face of the guards. The guards need more power, but also... If there, if there was a death penalty in this country, there would be deterrence to them. They say, well, because we're going to down and they're all death penalty. So they might never have to implement it, but it would be deterrence. And the guy on, on Garda Street Corner should have... Can't even go there with regards to that case. So leave it there. Thanks a lot. Much obliged. Text 0868104106. I can give a couple of warnings, but if unfortunately people aren't listening, I'm not going to be in any way, shape or form uh, prejudicing an active Garda investigation. But thank you for that, actually. He thinks that there should be a real introduction of the birch and the death penalty. Um, uh, the problem with the death penalty is that if you get it wrong, you can't go back and say sorry. That's always been an issue with me. And you also saw recently the very cruel methods 
of um, you know uh, the uh, enforcement of the death penalty in America because a lot of the big pharma companies and the chemical companies that were producing the chemicals to be used in uh, the, the execution chambers if you like in America are now refusing to supply them uh, to the different state police legislatures uh, and so they have to come up with other I might come back to that topic in another time but they've come up with other products now that are very cruel very painful and people die very slowly and very painfully um, text to 0868104106 Pat good morning good morning Nate ok and um, what's on your mind uh, basically, I was uh, glad there with the Citizens' Assembly at the start of it of talking about legalising drugs and thankfully they went down the health uh, approach there in regards uh, to legalising uh, Now, you're not part of the Citizens' Assembly, are you? No, okay, no, but I, I, I listen you're... to each okay. and every one of the... Um, uh, Weekends they were on, and there was fantastic submissions. And even from the Gary, uh, Justin Kelly, I think he's a citizen. And what's the general gist of what the Citizens' Assembly are saying about drugs? Now, the general gist was they're gone down the health approach rather than. Uh, criminalising things uh, people in relation to drugs they have gone down the health approach and I believe this is the right way of going. Yeah, but sure, what, Even, that's fine for a user but what do you do with the dealers and the smugglers? Now f- from the dealers um, if you deal uh, as the uh, commissioner uh, the assistant uh, previous commissioner there said earlier uh, if we get rid of the supply uh, areas we get rid of the dealers so like if we go down the health road of this in relation to say if we have people that are taking drugs and it comes to the guards attention and are put into the health system the health system then will start to identify where the problems are and start to deal with this on a health approach so now we have people People in the health system uh, there that are now identified as drug users. So if they're given the proper help, which I believe this is the right way of going, we now start to uh, eliminate the supply. But sure, we know that that's going to happen if and when the injection centre, the walk-in injection centre happens in Cork. There'll be people well, with I'm not even talking about the injection centre. I'm talking about the why people are taking drugs and as that lady said to she is there. Um, she had problems there in, you know, childhood or whatever. So we start to identify uh, this when we get them into the health system. We start to look at the psychological. That is so true. In 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 Jennifer's case, you are right. She was taken from yeah, her parents like at a very young age. Even, Both yeah. of her parents had serious addiction issues. She was in and out of care, back to her mother, into care again. So so she really had no proper start in life. The, the lady was just looking for some little thing to comfort her through her troubles, but her troubles weren't being dealt with. And like you even have the person, and they spoke about it there, you have big business people taking drugs. They're probably pressurised by the working environment they're working in, that they're pressurised so much, again, they need to take some drugs to... I, uh, I, I don't know, you know about that, Pat. I mean, OK, you're well, I see it even that, in sport now. 
uh, you have say sport and we expect this guy to be the Maradona on the field but to be the Maradona on the field he has to be on something so we as a society we put these pressures on people and there's only so much that you mind can put up with and you when you're in business you realise there the pressure that these people are under to perform and for these business to make profit and whatever and but Michael O'Sullivan that, well, who's been front and centre in this for decades he said that really the huge amount of cocaine use now is because it's socially acceptable way too often now you find people buying the cocaine at the weekend and off they go with all of their mates and it's like having a glass of wine or a pint he says it's be, be, become so cheap and it's so freely available that it's just a fact of life now that people from all walks of life are using it and I don't think that that has anything to do with working hard or stress at work it's just so well, it working hard and the stress is part of it but like uh, I'm, Mike has said there earlier people don't realise the harm of the drugs like wh- what we I've seen as well over the years is young people even going to concerts and they feel again that this is part of the concert so we need to get an education on their the tablets as well and amphetamines and, and different things like that yeah, I accept and, all of that yeah, yeah and I, I, people take this and as I said you said a minute ago there, they go to the pub, this is part of the pub, it's no longer just the point and the music and having the crack they feel that this is more of it again we need to give a strong message across of the real harm and destruction in people's lives. Have you seen that in, in towns and villages? I've seen whole communities destroyed with it and I've seen, and to be fair to the guards, uh, they are uh, trying to do work on this but they feel and the commissioner uh, ex-commissioner said there earlier it's a, a battle there they feel there's no winning on um, every side is just uh, coming at them and uh, they don't know when you see a scene like, in entire communities you're talking about towns and villages where I'm talking about whole communities destroyed with it and I've seen and I've witnessed uh, whole communities uh, and I, I wonder is, is some of the criminality that we're hearing about now and a lot of it with extreme violence are people on something when they behave like that? Now, even you saw their um, riots and different things in Dublin, like, and people don't realise when somebody gets to that level that they're even burning cars and they're burning this and that. They're, they're on something and they don't even realise what they're actually doing. And this is part of the social thing with these drugs. People do not realise the harm and how people are driven to do things that in enormous circumstance without being on any drugs, they wouldn't even dream of doing it. So they're doing stuff that is even out of their control and when you have guards and frontline people trying to deal with these people, there's no dealing with them. They have strength and it's unbelievable and you have guards there and uh, with little or no protection and they're trying to deal with this person that is totally out of control and like we need to look at all these sides of this drugs that we are allowing into our communities and we're uh, classing as a norm and you go out in the night and you take this. When people see the, the effects that this is having on whole it's just on the whole... But they, they're not going to care about other people or other communities. I mean, like, but, it's just this war is not being won incidentally so we're going to have to think differently if we think that the odd seizure of ha- even half a billion euro worth of coke is going to put any dent in the amount of people using cocaine in Ireland. 
It's not. Well, with the education and what I'm talking about, we get rid of the supply, and when we get rid of the supply, the dealers are no longer there. So we need to educate people, and we need to start. And that ex-commissioner there, our past commissioner, he, he spelt it out there earlier, uh, and how, and even Justin Kelly there, in his submission there, uh, in the Citizens Assembly on Drugs, he outlined, because these people are dealing with it at the, on the front line every day and they can see the effects and I think we need to start going down the road of educating the young people and telling them the harm of drugs. Okay, but you know when you talk never mind the business leaders snorting their cocaine but you you spoke about sports players performing at the highest level in order to perform at that level they have to take drugs. I mean that's a very broad sweeping statement to make. Anyway aren't aren't they tested? They're tested, but what I'm saying, and I suppose the point I'm making is, when we go to a soccer match or a GA match or whatever, we're looking for that person to be at a certain level. Now, to be at that certain level, this wicked pressure put on that person and you see it even uh, at matches there you see the pressure that these people yeah. are under and but how do you make the leap how do you make the leap then to performance enhancing drugs well I'm saying for that person to be to perform to the level we're expecting and to be that calm and collective and functioning person on the field they're saying that he, uh, this person has to be on something No who's there I mean there hasn't been any positive drug tests in the GAA there hasn't been any positive t- drug tests among Irish soccer players or any of the rugby teams they're, they're tested regularly why can't it be just talent well, you see, when it is known within the sport that there is drug taken, and even at local level, I see it myself and I hear about it myself mm-hmm. that there's certain, uh, you know, sporting organisations or certain clubs, and it's a high level of drug taking and whatever. And, uh, but, you know, the kind of class, and I think this is the road they were going down, and thankfully I hope it's changing, is this is a norm in society. But I assume you feel, I assume you feel crap after, um, I've never taken cocaine, God knows if I ever had enough problems with alcohol, I imagine I'd be dead, I definitely would be dead by now, but I would imagine that after a weekend of taking cocaine, you must feel crap after it. I mean, is there there a cocaine headache? Is there a cocaine hangover, like? It's like people going out and having alcohol and they wake up the following morning, they're pinned, they're heading to sitches, they're never going to drink again. And the minute that night comes and they're cracking the pub, they're drinking away and whatever. And I think this is the same with drugs. They feel that they're in the pub and they need to be jumping around the place. They need to be getting the right buzz out of this and to get a right buzz out of this and get rid of the, you know, the whole lot, uh, we need to be on something. And what people need to realise is you don't need you don't need to go to a concert and be jumping around the place and out of your tree and I often saw it and I no, you don't. no you and don't what saddens me yeah. is to see young people lying there and they're totally out of it and they didn't even realise they were at the concert but I know more and, and more young people that are turning away from that kind of lifestyle they don't want it anymore it's bad for their mental health and they can get much of a kick and an exuberance in life naturally in fairness, there are many of them, and that's why you hear so many people heading to the gym, not heading to the pub after work, you know, watching what they eat, exercising regularly. You see them all now. There's a huge increase in the fitness industry. Young people going to all sorts of getting the proper boots and the proper gear and climbing mountains and everything. You see it more and more. 
So they are it's like it. It, yeah. So I mean, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be kind of you know saying that the whole generation are damaged to drugs. It's that that isn't the oh, case. No, there's not a whole generation. There's a small sector, but unfortunately, this small sector of society is what's driving this drug trade. And we need to tap into that small sector, and we right. need to basically put them back on the proper track. The track that you're talking about, the good, healthy living, and that drugs is not the way to go, and the harm that this would cause, and it will destroy your life financially, mentally, physically, okay. and everything. Okay. We need to get this message across. Okay, thanks, Pat. I was reading last week in the newspaper, spoke about it on air at the back end of last week, that more and more nightclubs, uh, we don't have much of them left anywhere, but in the UK, one of the big uh, companies and organisations behind UK nightclubs is closing more and more clubs because young people just aren't going. They're, a lot of them are just not interested anymore in that kind of lifestyle. Out late, drinking booze, feeling crap the next day. Text 0868104106. The Neil Prenderville Show on Red FM. All right. Conversation that matters. In the right and getting it wrong. I know I messaged you a while back, even though you didn't get an opportunity to read it out, regarding the customs situation in Cork. More to the point, Cork Airport. So this is somewhat related as to what comes in and out of the country. I landed back again last week and the amount of staff uh, of staff uh, on the arrivals hall was was ridiculous. This is customs staff on the arrival hall. Should customs not be concentrating on stopping drugs getting into this country? Everyone from a London flight had to line up and had their bags checked. It's very embarrassing to land back into Cork and get asked, have you got alcohol or tobacco? You say no, but they still check to make sure you're not lying. It's the only airport that I know of in Europe or indeed the UK with this embarrassing act. I'm, I'm not so sure you could stand over that without going to visit all of the different airports. Anyway, someone with a backpack is hardly carrying huge amounts. Uh, the look on tourist face is shocking to see. This country's broken and people like these customs staff show how much we have fallen. It's all about that, what do you have that I can take government mentality crap in Ireland right now. RIP, the good old welcome in Ireland and the good old friendly atmosphere, says John. Well, I find the atmosphere and the friendliness of Cork Airport to be without reproach. I think it's a great airport to go in and out of. Uh, I don't know, uh, I've never seen a situation where every single person on a flight was lined up and all of their bags were checked I've seen random checks from, from time to time. But as the fellow says, if you've got nothing to hide, why would it bother you? Uh, but anyway, I think you're saying there's bigger picture stuff here that customs could be used for. But you take them away from airports then and put them somewhere else. Does that leave the does that not then leave the airport open to abuse and the importation of illegal substances? Um, anyway, just another few like that. Cigarettes and alcohol are controlled and taxed, but there's still a huge black market in cigarettes. Um, legalize drugs and the gangs won't go away. They'll get richer and bolder as there will not be any deterrent to people using drugs then. The problem with drugs will just get worse, which means more crime, because even legalized drugs need to be paid for. Remember, drugs were once legalized until the tail end of the 19th century. London was so drug riddled that Jack the Ripper got away with all of his crimes an interesting observation. The Industrial Revolution was very nearly derailed and Britain went to war with China when China outlawed, outlawed, outlawed opium use. That's how Hong Kong, Hong Kong ended up as a British territory until 1997. Anyway, the government in the UK used to be the world's biggest drug dealer. Learn from history before legalising drugs again. Read about it and remember drugs were outlawed for a reason. Let's keep it that way. Um, and then actually... I'll come back to more text, but, uh, you know, you talk about how we spend our money or what we spend our money on. And I recently read a headline 
um, that look great. 800,000 euro being spent on Ukrainian pets being brought over to Ireland. But Philip picked up on that when I was talking about it last week and he says, it's not a good headline to read about the 800 grand being spent on Ukrainian pets being brought here. However, does that headline tell the whole story? How many of them were guide dogs how many of them were autism dogs? As someone on this island who wants vetting of anyone coming into this country, and I want the immediate deportation of filed, failed asylum seekers, I'm also human, and I practice humanity to all. I put it to you, Neil, that if a Ukrainian family who made it to this safe haven and had help with the pet to ease the grief of a mother and her kids who just lost their home, their friends, their schooling, their lives, maybe their father to the war, or maybe lost family or friends before fleeing war, then we should help. Then I say yes, we should try to help. That's not to say that we should not help the Irish, a problem, by the way, that was not caused by Ukrainians, but yes, we should help and see the bigger picture, says Philip in the city, including... Um, the spending of 800 grand on Ukrainian pets. But meanwhile, then, when you see others then that struggle, and this email kind of sums it up, the other side of the issue with what we spend money on while we don't help others. I was hoping that you might be able to highlight an issue that my family are currently having with accessing GP services. Don't even talk to me about the amount of people that can't get on a GP's list, or indeed, if they're on the GP's list, they can't get to see a doctor for days and days. Somebody recently was telling me, weeks. So this email has to do with an appointment for my elderly father. My father's 85 and was living with a few health issues until the 5th of December 2023 when he also went on to suffer a stroke. Miraculously, he got into hospital on time and was seen and treated so quickly that he has suffered very minor after effects, thank God. One of dad's health issues though is cellulitis on both legs. He was hospitalised also in 2023 for this and and it was cleared but not cured now he's 85 this is the scourge of dad's life he has this lying dormant for almost two years and now both legs are ulcerated and both badly infected on thursday the first of february dad was in agony so he rang his gp for an appointment so he could be seen and treated with antibiotics but we were told there was no appointment available. Now think of the agony the 85-year-old man is in. There was no appointment available. We explained that he was 85 just after a stroke and we were still told, sorry, no appointments available. We took him then to Doc365 and he was seen, given antibiotics. We were also given a referral letter for A&E and told to be very vigilant in case he developed fever or worse, the possibility of sepsis. Thankfully, dad improved, but his legs are still ulcerated. So he rang back his GP again on Friday and they apologised, but still no appointments. This is bizarre. Today, Thursday, and again, we rang his GP and told again, no appointments available for today, for tomorrow, or indeed for the foreseeable next few weeks, because the GP is fully booked. If an 85-year-old who had a stroke less than seven weeks ago is not a priority to see a GP, what do we do? Hopefully, you and your listeners might have some suggestions. Thank you for your time, says Tina. So, not today, the GP's office said. Not tomorrow. Indeed, not for the next few weeks, because the GP is fully booked. Why? I mean, you have to ask yourself the question, why? Have we reached this scenario and situation in 2024 when there's supposed to be so much money around? Text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on 0818104106. We got that and more after the break. The Neil-
Brenderville Show on Red FM. Conversation that matters. Text 0868104106. We'll come back to lots of texts and calls. But I just want to jump in because it started earlier this morning. I actually played all of the audio. So I'm not going to replay the audio of Killian Murphy accepting his uh, his fabulous win uh, at the BAFTAs uh, last night. But uh, you'd be very envious of anybody who gets to go to a long, long to an event like that. But Connor Finn, who's the social media guru with Bauer Media, a digital and social media executive, was at it uh, and had his invite and got to mix with all the rich and famous and talented last night and joins me by phone. Connor, good morning. Good morning. How are we getting on? I'm good. A late night, no doubt, at the Royal Festival Ah. Hall. (laughs) Uh, Not that late. It was more of a long day um, that felt like a late night. Um, But yeah, very exciting uh, getting to the bastards last night. Yeah. (laughs) How does does it kind of work? All all the press are there early, awaiting the superstars, the directors and the actors and everybody to arrive and then there's a crush to try and get an interview with them, is it? That's essentially it, yeah. Uh, it's Well, it's a horrible star mix of celeb events there. You have everybody under the sun. So really, whatever your press, you are just happy to be there. So I think we were standing around about nine hours from red carpet to kind of press room. Um, you know, you're begging in this little swamp part at the side of the carpet possibly please give me water um, but at the end of the day you get to meet the likes of Paul Maskell I mean we were chatting with Naomi Campbell and the circus Vera Wang um, Killian Murphy unfortunately didn't stop on the carpet for us but we we'll caught him at the press room after he won the awards but yeah they're essentially brought up and down PR people looking at you and uh, we had just a little bit of bunting at uh on our little piece uh, so hopefully that <laughs> maybe that's why we got a couple of them to stop over with us. You must really have to know your films though and know your directors and know your actors because a lot, a lot of them forgive me I wouldn't have a clue who they are I recognise obviously Killian and I recognise Paul Meskel or I'd know Bradley Cooper but it probably would stop around there <laughs> Well, no, they do give you a bit of a cheat sheet with all the faces of the people that may be turning <laughs> up. And, you know, you do... But, I mean, if you didn't know the likes of Margot Robbie walking past you, you would question, why am I allowed to be here? Um, <laughs> yeah, no, no I'd, prob- uh, I'd probably end up saying, I recognise her from somewhere. <laughs> There is a little bit of that going on because obviously a lot of them look different from the characters of the play or, yeah, there's, is that um, Robert Downey Jr.? And you have to second guess it. And then you do realise, yes, they actually are here at the award. So it, it's a funny one, but uh, yeah, it, it helps to know the basics. <laughs> so I know I know that he won himself a Golden Globe, a BAFTA, and mm. now also has a Golden Globe, right? Um, um, uh-huh. uh, so now it's looking like he probably will get an Oscar is is that is mm-hmm. that definite? I mean, it was Anatomy of a Fall, The Holdovers, Killers of the Flower Moon, Oppenheimer, mm-hmm. and Poor Things. Anatomy of Fall of a Fall is that the one I watched where the husband fell out the window uh, of a ski chalet and the wife was blamed? Was it? Yes, for language film, yeah, and uh, there's a fantastic dog actually. The accent of that I personally think was snubbed for award that was <laughs> last night. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's a brilliant for language film that absolutely cleaned up um, last night as well. Yeah, but not Best Actor, nor Best Director, was it? Or Best Supporting Actor? Oh, I think they got everything from... St- oh, sorry, yes, uh, they got lots of awards for signs and production, um, and then Oppenheimer, Oppenheimer as well. Yeah, they came in with Director, uh, with Christopher Nolan. Um, but, yeah, there was... a. Yeah, a, a mix of kind of anybody that you can name drop uh, essentially uh, made an appearance. Uh, yeah. 
So did did Killian come into the the press room? Yeah, yeah. So after anybody that wins the award, uh, they come across uh, to the plebs, all the press. I've been sweating it out in a area that's just not ventilated at all, um, and you get about three questions amongst forty hungry press. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, lucky enough, we got to get a shout in. Um, he gave a uh, quick chat to us about uh, how he feels with everybody back home. Uh, suggested should he sing a rebel song? Um, and uh, <laughs> yeah, he? we uh, so much like, oh, well, no, but we were ready to cheer along. Honestly, uh, <laughs> <laughs> we gave him plenty of opportunity. Uh, no, there's did you did you suggest a, a few questions. songs to him? Uh, I I tried to maybe he just didn't hear me from the back. Come out, you black and tans or something. Rock on, rock all. Uh, uh, here, Luke, I'll let him lead the way. We'll join him, whatever. Um, but uh, no, yeah, it was uh, great to kind of see him there. He's famously not a fan of the press. So to actually get him. Why is in that? Room, why why is that? Is he, is he nervous or is he kind of a little bit suspicious of press or what? I just wonder why. I couldn't tell you, to be honest. I think different people lean into it different ways. And sure, he's such a seasoned actor, I think he's been asked a million questions around the sun by everybody. So I think when you whenever you get to that stage of fame, you kind of just go, oh, I prefer to just do my job and then wreck up all the awards and go home. I think that's where he's kind of got to the stage in life. But of course, whenever you have someone like that of calibre, absolutely storming through the competition as you mentioned there it's hard to not go please just you know we're really proud of you back home between as you know Cork or Monkstown everybody's kind of going Luke champion on any Irish yeah I know I know so what do you think what do you think of his chances for the for the Oscar then will it be this will it be a will it be different different films he'll be up against clearly will be up against probably Maestro right yeah, so the Oscars are famously, they tend to not really go the way that people expect. Um, again, there be the likes of big uh, names, even for the Golden Globes, Barbie got snubbed a lot, that were personal favourites. Um, but for Oppenheimer, it does fit into a lot of the categories of a classic Christopher Nolan, big budget, big Hollywood film that you can see the Academy rubbing their hands like going, yes, we will absolutely give you all the gold. Because again, they want their names on it as well. Yeah. And this spirit thing that's remembered throughout it. So um, yeah, I think it has very good chances. And uh, yeah, if, uh, if I was to put my bats on, I'd go for Killian this year. And what happens at the end of the awards then? Does everybody just go home or do they head off to a lot of different kind of uh, um, parties and different places, do you know? So from the awards, um, the ones last night specifically, they have a bit of a dinner reception and a bit of a dance downstairs. Now, that would be more of regular attendees. Apparently, all the celebrities go to uh, undisclosed after-party venue, which, understandably enough, uh, they want to keep very secret. And is that one venue where all the stars go to, is it? Yeah, it tends to be one venue, and it's always released after the fact. Um, Somebody will know someone that managed to squeeze in some kind of pictures, Uh, but it's supposed to kind of be away from all press, lights, paparazzi, um, and uh, yeah, shockingly enough, yeah, whenever you're in London, sure, you're always going to find speakeasy somewhere where you can squeeze in, you know, the most important names in Hollywood. (laughs) I wonder where they went and did anybody gay crash it? Because I didn't see any, I didn't see any kind of paparazzi photographs yesterday, last night or this oh, morning. Here, I, 
I was trying my best, but you know what? There's only so far you can sneak around on these things. Yeah, maybe they heard the accent went, no, no, we know which crowd you're with. <laughs> <laughs> so what are, you, what are your chances then getting to the Oscars? Well, here, I mean, if they connect to the bosses, why not? We'll book the tickets. We'll see how far we can get. <laughs> um, <laughs> I packed the talks already. Um, sure, we'll we'll do a double one now. We'll meet you there, will oh, we? <laughs> no, but if you are there, please be available to take a call. I'd love to chat with you from the Oscars, that's for sure. As we see, yeah, hopefully... Yeah, we'll, we'll see which pub I'm in. <laughs> we'll, we'll work it out, we'll work it out, because it would be great to see Killian Murphy sweep the boards. It really and truly would. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Absolutely. Fingers crossed. <laughs> Take care, Connor. Appreciate it. Thanks for taking the call. Connor Finn, uh, digital and social media executive and the uh, film guru at the BAFTAs last night. Well done, Killian. Well done. Text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on 0818104106. Massive amount of texts on this. Killian Murphy and Quivine Kelleher, two former Prez lads at the top of their game. Quivine is playing for Liverpool on Sunday at Wembley in the League Cup final. Uh, yes, we should be so proud of both of them. Uh, and lots more absolutely great Cork talent that have gone on to huge things in sport or in theatre or in other walks of life. But at the moment, I guess the world belongs uh, to Killian Murphy. Text 0868104106. Just, um, just, I, I will come back to a lot of the texts from this morning, I promise you, in the morning. But I want to stay with phone lines now, if you don't mind. We'll talk to Bernice Cavanagh. Bernice, good morning. Good morning, Neil. Now, um, I know that they posted this online last night, right? Because we're saying words along the lines of, according to a recent survey, one in five adults still own their own childhood teddies. And something in the reason nearly 10% of adults still sleep with a soft toy at night. Can I just say for the record, do not include me in that, but apparently people do. What, what did you make of that? And what are your own thoughts on of it? Because you have a 35-year-old vintage Teddy, is that right? That's, uh, it's not my bear, it's my daughter's Oh, I, un- I understand, in the family, in the family, yeah. Yeah, okay. So, yeah, she she absolutely adored that bear. So, AJ is a vintage bear, yeah. He was first on the market back in 1985. And she was born in 87, so we got the bear in 1988. And, yeah, AJ means almost grown. So... Recently, we were going to Australia to meet our first grandchild, Tara, and we decided that we would take the bear with us and the bear can have now a new life with Tara in Australia. Okay. So we had great fun. We got a lot of photographs along the way. Why am I looking at a photograph? Is that the pilot? That is correct. That's the pilot in the Etihad uh, Emirates. So he's up in the cockpit. Yeah, he was up in the cockpit. So we started the photograph with um, relatives of ours, you know, her, my daughter's aunts, cousins, because I, what my, in my head, I said, we're just going to take AJ on the journey with us. He's not going in a suitcase. I didn't want... So did he, so did he have a passport? We had a little... Uh, it's a passport for him. He had his suitcase. We got him a little makeover. My lovely cousin, Rini, made a lovely knitted hat and jacket for him. And uh, we just decided that we, I, I wanted the photographs because I wanted to put them in an album and to give them. We, were, we arrived two days before Christmas and I wanted to give it for Tara on Christmas Day that she would get the teddy bear and she'd get the album that would tell her a story once she gets older and understands 
the history of AJ Bear. So I'm hoping he'll get another 35 years at least. He's in great nick, though, isn't he? He's not missing eyes nor nothing like that. He's got all his bits, got his nose and everything, two ears. Oh, he, I don't think they make bears like this anymore. I mean, he's just, I, I, he was washed a few times. What, in the, in the washing <laughs> machine? Would you put him in the washing machine in the tumble drawer? I, I wouldn't put him in the tumble dryer. I just gave him a quick wash before we took him on the journey because he's he's been sitting up on a shelf. You know, Sinead has had him for many years and every time she's coming home, I always put AG out on the bed and he's always there for her. He has been on several holidays with us when when she was younger. So is I Tara, mean, Sin- forgive me for not knowing, is Tara Sinead's daughter? Yes, she's okay. my first granddaughter, my okay. first grandchild. So, and so yeah. Sinead is in Australia and gave birth to Tara when? November. So Tara wow. was three weeks old when we arrived with the bear and she's just turned three months old now. Okay, so you're hoping, hoping that Tara probably will keep AG for 20 or 30 years and continue this tradition handing down from generation to generation. I'm, that's what I would hope for because AJ is like part of our family because he's been on so many trips with us that Sinead just would everywhere we went I want to bring AJ I want AJ so you know he's been on all our family holidays when they were younger so I'm hoping that he'll get a new lease of life now and start travelling everywhere with Tara wherever she wants oh, to go I love it and I love the photographs that you sent as well thank you for sharing uh, let me talk to Karen if you don't mind before I go Bernice thank you for that Karen good morning Morning, how are you? Um, do you sleep with your teddy? I do indeed. Okay. Uh, grown woman, how long have you got the teddy? What's the teddy's name? Well, I just call him the bull because I remember like my aunt, she had a vela over in... Marga- she had a vela in... She had a what? She actually gave me she had a vela in Spain years and years ago. I preferred a, a villa than the teddy, but go on. <laughs> okay. So when I... Um, she gave me this bull and I've had it for for years so I've had the bull since I was about three. Why do you call and him the bull? It. Is it like describe why is he called the bull? <laughs> I, I just I just gave him a name like just a random name the bull like because like he had eyes and he had a small tail but the tail is literally gone now. <laughs> so how old is he? <sighs> I'd say he's really old now this stage. Like what is he 20, 30, 40? Is he coming to retirement age? Yeah, he's coming to retirement age because he's just like his nose now. I'm looking at it there now, and it's all just like ripped apart, and his ears and his eyes are gone. There is a there is a doll and teddy bear hospital. You know that? <laughs> yeah, I never knew that. There is, and I believe it's somewhere in Cork. I can track it down for you, where they will do surgery and uh, get bull looking um, well together again. Yeah, that'd be perfect. So do you do you sleep with them in the bed then? Yeah, I sleep with them like everything in night. I can't take them anywhere because. If I go away and I bring it with me, I'm afraid because I lose it. So it's kind of like special to me. So I have to leave at home. <laughs> um, so you've never lost him and you wouldn't sleep without him? No, I can't, I can't live without him either. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. So it doesn't surprise you then that you're amongst a fairly big section of society, one in five adults who still have their own childhood teddies. Yeah. Wow, it's news to me. I have nothing from my childhood. Absolutely nothing. Um, anyway, I, I think that I think that the teddy bear hospital is Wyan Stansfield's wife, and Wyan and his yeah. wife run Pinocchio, the toy shop on um, Rory Gallagher Plaza. 
the entry there in and around Tesco, you know, there by the Paul Street Shopping Centre? I do, indeed, yeah. They have a teddy bear hospital. Check them out if you want some, if you need some surgical intervention for Bull the teddy bear, all right? I want to do, I want to do, because he's actually looking a bit kind of wound down, like. He's looking a bit bedraggled, yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe maybe a new nose sewn on, or an ear, or maybe an eye or two. (laughs) Yeah, I think he needs, I think he needs, like, eyes, fresh air, and the nose is on too, like, so he needs some fresh nose. (laughs) Ah, for God's sake. (laughs) Off you go, Karen. Crystal is Wyan's wife's name, and they still do repairs at Pinocchio's. Just off the phone with them there, apparently, and they'd be happy to do some surgical intervention. Text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on 0818104106. Fair play to Tony. Picking up the guardie at a time when people are often so quick to bash the guards, it's just lovely to hear someone speak so highly of them. Hopefully, Tony, hopefully, to, hope Tony knows it's greatly appreciated. And that's a lovely text from a guard's wife. Neil, the guardie are the backbone of Irish society. It's what we don't see. After a family member went through a difficult time last year with addiction, what the guards didn't do to help and what they were subjected to as a result, I'll be forever in the guardie's debt for how they'll help keep. How they keep people alive when it would have been easier just to let them die. And I am talking from experience. Thank you for that. There's a lot more besides that, but we'll pick it up in the morning. Our lines will stay open. Text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on 0818104106. And remember, you can always send me your story if you wish to do by email to neil at redfm.ie. Have a good day. I'll see you tomorrow. When court talks, car people blow my mind. They talk to Neil Prendeville on Red FM.